South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Well, it is a very good morning across the hill country in South Texas. And, well, pretty much wherever you happen to be listening. Fall has been here briefly. It seems to have retreated and let summer sneak back in. But uh, not bad weather. Supposed to cool down later this week. Real good chance of rain uh, coming up in a couple of days. And, boy, I know we're all anxious to see that happen. But, anyway, big thing going on today is the herb market. I'm going to have to look up and see how many years we've been doing this. I know it's close to 30 years now. And uh, it's just a, a big big event free of charge uh, down here at the pearl if you're thinking about something you want to get out and do this morning uh the herb market is always a fun place to come and uh it opens officially it opens at nine obviously we're still sitting down here <laughs> much earlier than that broadcasting but uh love to have you come by um there are no fences, there are no gates, anything like that. In fact, we're already seeing people wandering through, walking their dogs and things like that. So it'll be getting set up here pretty soon. And uh, you know what our market's all about, all sorts of uh, cooking demonstrations and samples and lots of people selling herbs and related items. So if you've never been, it's uh, quite an event, uh, quite a quite a history, I can tell you. I think we've been broadcasting here since uh, since about the first one. Used to be out at Aggie Park, but anyway, that's uh, that's what's going on down here at the Pearl this morning, and hope to see you down here. Um, you know how I hate to keep people waiting, and uh, looks like Thomas and Joyce are already in line waiting to talk. So let's just get started with Thomas. Good morning, Thomas. Yeah. Good morning. Hello, Good morning, sir. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> oh. I'm I'm glad to be back. Like I said, this time yesterday morning, I was actually way down on the far tip of South Texas, but uh, back home now and glad to be here, glad to be talking to you. What's going on today? Well, I got uh, a couple of questions here in the comments. Uh, I bought two rosemary plants here a while back, <clears throat> one a trailing and one an upright. Uh-huh. I bought them from a, a good nursery, and they were beautiful plants. I don't know what I did wrong. I, uh, either they got too hot. I tried to, when it was really that real hot weather, I tried to keep them on the edge of the patio where they weren't in that, that brutal 107 degrees, you know. Right. And uh, I tried to... I, I think I was watering, right? I, but uh, one on the trailing, that thing looks, looks like it's starting to die. I mean, it's the little branches or whatever you call them on a the rosemary uh, just dried up, you know, about half of them. Maybe it's probably, I, yeah, it's probably a combination of the heat and probably something happened with the watering somewhere along the way. Um Rosemary never, ever wants to get totally dry, uh, but on the other hand, you know, it wants to wants the soil to get good and dry on the surface between waterings. Now, part of it is brown, part of it is still green, is that correct? Yeah, the, the green part is still healthy. You know, it's got the, the little branches, you know. Yeah, 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 but, and then the leaves up and down them. Yeah, I, it... Dead, but uh, you know I may have had some help watering this thing, and not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
the fact that the fact that a it, a good deal of it is still green is a good sign. Rosemary is a pretty tough plant. It can it can a lot of it can die back and it still can come out again. Um, and it probably is at least in part the heat. Uh, this was just an impressively hot summer and probably got a little too dry somewhere along the way. I'd take your shears. I'd just kind of trim out the part that is brown. I would be fertilizing it regularly, like every couple of weeks with Grow or something like that. I'd put a little Super Thrive in the water, oh, at least every week or two. And uh, put it, the best place to put it, since it's still in still in the pot it came in. Right, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd put it where it gets sun in the morning, but shade in the afternoon. And always remember, there's so no such thing as too much water, but there is too often. So when you water it, really flood it. Really water it very, very thoroughly. That just doesn't mean till water comes out of the bottom of the pot, because if it ever dries out a little too much, the soil will shrink away from the sides of the pot. Then the water just goes down and out the bottom, and it looks like it's water, but it's really not. In fact, you might even put it in a saucer where it can sit you know, when half an inch of water, and then you pour that out uh, if it hasn't taken it all up within a couple of hours. But uh, moving into nicer weather, getting away from the 100-degree stuff, if you watch your watering, if you'll feed regularly, it should put on new growth as it starts to cool off, and it, it should come back just fine for you. It, if you have any healthy green at all on it, it's it's beyond whatever it was the fact that the whole plant didn't just fold up and die tells me it you know probably wasn't too wet uh, because when when you get a system where there get a, a situation where the root system is really rotted and died then the whole plant just folds up and dies when you've got one branch here one branch there dying on it it means that it's probably gotten a little too dry at some point could easily have gotten a little too hot but at this point it ought to be on the rebound it ought to be starting to come back so watch your watering feed it every couple of weeks little super thrive in there and uh as we get closer to fall it, it should look a whole lot better now especially the trailing is not as cold hardy as the upright so if we get into some weather this winter that gets down into the teens you're probably going to need to protect it from that but down to 16 17 degrees it shouldn't have any problem uh, I, I it sounds like it had a problem earlier in the summer but it, it sounds like it's coming back from it uh, like i say if it was root rot if it was anything that was going to kill the plant, the whole thing would have died at once, not one branch at a time. Okay. And I got another thing here. Uh, have you ever heard of a, a Dr. Zach Bush? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of Dr. Bush. Well, he had a thing on YouTube, and uh, what caught my attention, the heading was, How Chemical Farming Impacts Our Health. Mm-hmm. And he talked all about what, the same thing we believe in and know about the uh, chemical fertilizers is burning out all the the good soil and all that. And I, oh yeah, I was really impressed because you never say anything like that, you know. Well, it's he is well known. He is a very intelligent man and has done his research. He's kind of a voice in the wilderness. There have been. Lots of people, you know, call him a quack and trying to shut him up. But the man understands the importance of soil life, understands uh, that, you know, you're not going to have healthy people unless you have healthy food. You're not going to have healthy food unless your plants are grown properly, which 
you know, right. today's so-called modern agriculture, um, it's burned the organic material out of the soil. We're looking at nutrient content. It's 10% of what it was 50 years ago. So, yeah, Dr. Bush um, is, uh, I know our friend Diane uh, over in Seguin follows his work. And uh, I life is busy. I, there's so many things I'd love to be able to pursue that I don't always have time to but he's he's a man who knows what he's talking about and I don't think I really have much of any degree disagreement with anything he says he he along with the focus at uh, Acres USA uh, and certainly Rodale Institute uh, headquartered up in Pennsylvania I've had the pleasure of visiting their headquarters and they've got a couple of satellite locations now and these people are are showing you know how what the what the lies about modern agriculture are all this thing oh well, we can't feed the world organically it won't work well rodale has shown that when you go organic uh starting out you'll have equal production by the third year organic production will exceed quote modern agriculture so i don't know if thomas you and me and howard garrett and a lot of other good people just need to keep preaching to the the choir, so to speak, I think ultimately will win because I think people doing it our way are going to live a lot longer and healthier. But uh, you know, that's that's a whole other topic. I'll I'll let uh, Trey Ware and Jack and people like that get into the politics of the whole thing. You and I will just keep on doing what we're doing and doing it right. Well, it caught my attention because you don't ever see anything like that on, especially on on uh, on YouTube. There's well, there's a lot of good things on there though too. But uh, oh yeah. Oh, there's some there. There's a lot of bad information on on the internet, but uh, there's also some very good information out there. And uh, Dr. Bush is one of the ones that's worth listening to, for sure. Real, real quick, have you ever on your place? Have you ever uh, had a one of these big black indigo king snakes? They are further south. I I get uh, mainly Texas rat snakes. I've certainly seen indigo snakes, uh, but they not many indigos in the hill country. They're more of a south Texas snake, but my God, those things. I remember, you know, down there a lot of years ago when I took time to hunt, uh, driving up to a, you know, a, a gate between two fences, and there was an indigo snake stretched across the road that I swear his head was on one side of the road and his tail was in the bushes on the other. He was bigger around, well, he was as big around as, you know, my calf and uh, a good eight feet long and probably weighed 20 pounds or so. Uh, they're, they're interesting snakes. They eat rattlesnakes, among other things. They're a big constrictor and absolutely beautiful snakes, but I'd, I've never seen one in the hill country. I don't think they get that far north. Well, you know, I grew up in, uh, in Medina County on the Hondo Creek down there. Uh-huh. And as a kid, I remember my grandfather was one big old king snake hanging around the house. Mm-hmm. And I remember my grandfather said, don't bother that snake. You leave him alone. He's a good snake. Well, you know? that goes for king snakes as well as indigos. King snakes don't get nearly as big as the indigo snakes, but uh, they are, uh, you know, they're they're known for being carnivores. They, they eat any kind of snake they can catch along with lizards and mice and birds and anything else that comes along. But uh, king snakes and indigo snakes... Uh, you know, you, you, you learn correctly. They are the farmer's friend. Well, I'll tell you something funny. Uh, this is a big old indigo, blue, you know, black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
as a kid, I must have been, you know, like six years old or so, and he had an outhouse. And this big old snake was curled up down the there. Well, it's probably better than you than rather than your than your mother or a wife or somebody encounter an indigo snake in an outhouse. But that that brings a smile to my face. They never went there anymore. <laughs> I can imagine. Thomas, it's always a pleasure visiting. Let me get Joyce in here before we get up towards six o'clock. And we do have some open lines. Uh, good time to call two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. And I get to say good morning, Joyce. Good morning, Mr. Bob. Nice to talk Good. to you this morning. Well, it's my great pleasure to hear your voice. Tell you what, I have a question for you, please, but I'd like to make two little comments that I, I think might be of interest to you. The next time one of your folks goes by the post office, have them stop by and ask for a, the Forever Stamps, a sheet called Microscopic Life. It is a fantastic sheet of stamps. It is absolutely beautiful. And it's images of plants and animals uh, from the microscopic side. And they are just beautiful. You really get a, a joy out of looking at it. And I'm, I'm tying it to the garden show because one of them is the surface of an oak leaf. <laughs> so that's my, well, that that's sounds my beautiful. Yeah, Roberta was out picking up some uh as she says pretty stamps you know so many of them and they they it's they charge a little extra but they're sure worth it but uh, i don't think she found that one so uh that's something we will and I've, I've, we've got golly we've got a wonderful post office up on broadway up uh, up the way from the nursery so i'll go by and see david over there and see if we can manage to get a sheet or two of those that sounds beautiful and i certainly appreciate you telling us about it well my favorite was uh pollen it was from something called, I don't know whether you know, the called a flame lily. And it looked like, you've seen these bags at Easter of Jordan almonds. It looked like candy-coated almonds, but in vivid colors. I mean, robin's egg blue and bright wow. yellows and oranges and bright pinks. And it was each <laughs> little pollen grain from the flame lily. And it was stuff like uh, that you wouldn't ever think of. I don't know what a diving beetle is. But they had a picture of a diving beetle. Oh, yeah. Foot. yeah. And it looked like a, a fireworks display. That sounds fascinating. It's, uh, yeah, pollen, pollen is very, very interesting. And, uh, back in the old days, uh, when I was in school a long time ago, scanning electron microscopes were the newest thing. And we were looking at different things we could look at and, and, basically get a 3D image of with the standard transmission scope, which is uh, all that had been available up to that time. You had to take a real thin section. But it was very interesting that the pollens that don't bother people or don't, you know, cause any allergy problems are nice little smooth, round balls, like you say, different colors. But then if you looked at something like ragweed pollen, I mean, it looked like the old medieval things they beat people up with, that mason chain thing that just, you know, is a round <laughs> ball with spikes out all over it. And you can see, even though it is at a microscopic level, you can see why that would cause a person far more allergy problems than some of the others. But, yeah, they're, 
microscopic life can be and is very, very fascinating. But, you know, as you and I both know, nature is totally fascinating. We, when Bert and I were, golly, on one of our buying trips, we, we saw a T-shirt somewhere that said, Nature Never Disappoints. And I think frequently of how true that is. There's so much fascinating stuff out there. Okay, I'll leave that one alone and move on to the other one. Did you get to see wherever you were any of the eclipse last year, last week? We most certainly did. Most certainly did. It's the first time I've ever seen an annular eclipse where the sun wasn't totally blocked by the moon. But it was very interesting. We we accidentally we were actually at a nurseryman's trade show in Portland what's it been, five or six years ago, and got to see a nearly full of the the so-called total eclipses. So this is the second time that I've been privileged to get to see some of that. But it it was fascinating to watch with our eclipse glasses. Well, I had the most spectacular thing that I saw, and it was completely unexpected. And that was, I guess, because that ring of fire put curvature on it. I didn't mm-hmm. know what it would do to shadows. It did the most fantastic transformation of shadows I've ever it, seen. And if you get the opportunity to see it in April, what it did was, and I'm tying this one to leaves because it was my beautiful uh-huh. oak leaves. I love right. looking through leaves. And when it the the leaves from my tree were just over my sidewalk, which gave it a plain palette. And what it did was it curved everything yes. into a 30-degree curve that was it made it look like a swirl. The branches weren't straight and angular. Mm-hmm. They were all curved to the same 30-degree anti-clockwork uh, swirl. I, I never expected that. No one had I, ever told me about it, and it was I, wonderful. And we saw the same thing and felt the same way. And it uh, it was one of those fascinating things. I don't know that I fully understand exactly how or why the eclipse created that, but it was it was just art. It it was shadow art. Absolutely, <laughs> and, it was absolutely fantastic art. And I I was such a dummy. My neighbor has one of these fancy i fifteen three cameras. Never thought <laughs> to take a picture of it. No doubt. Yeah. Well, as you say, we'll have another opportunity April with the full eclipse, and I presume we'll probably do the same the same thing. But that was that was an absolutely fascinating observation. And uh, uh, but I'd like you, we we had no idea that it was going to do anything like that, and we're just sitting there looking at that, saying that is just amazing. But uh, your your explanation gives me a little more insight into it. Well, maybe that's what it was. I, I have no idea. I'm not that good. My question, I want to ask you a question real quick. Sure. And that has to do with I'm still trying to root cuttings of my kumquat and <laughs> have not succeeded. But my my thought was, and then I got to thinking too much about it, I guess, and that was since they don't have roots and they have only a couple of little leaves up at the top, would it help grow roots if I in moistening it and keeping it moist, used a very dilute um, kind of garret juice, a little bit of uh, uh, has to grow with vinegar, you know, watered it with that. Oh, yeah. Then I got to thinking more about it. But no, 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 no. Don't do that because Bob told you that the orchid people grew beautiful plants by uh, foliar feeding and no roots. 
maybe it was mm-hmm. stifle root growth. Which which way does it go? I think at this point it will it will help get root growth going. Now, once you've got roots out and growing, then you do most of your feeding to the soil. But getting the roots started, yes, Garrett juice, and if you want to. Uh, make your garret juice even a little better. Add some liquid seaweed to it. That seems to really enhance rooting. And when you're taking any kind of cuttings, uh, we soak them for like 30 minutes or so before we put them into the perlite to root. And it really increases both the percentage of cuttings that take root and the speed with which uh, they develop and grow roots. So, no, that's that's going to be a great way to get some roots started. But now once you have some roots, you know, out and growing pretty well, do it, you know, like 80% of your feeding through the soil and 20% through the foliage. Well, you kind of can't water them, uh, you know, without getting it on the leaves anyway sure. while you're trying what? to moisten the perlite. Okay, that's fine. Well, I'll give that a shot and see whether it works because I have not succeeded. I have succeeded with the lime, the Mexican lime, and I have two of the cutest little 15-inch cuttings with three little limes on each plant that are about oh, wow. marble size. It, it looks so cute. <laughs> Ah, you're doing well. Just keep trying because the same technique you use for that lime ultimately should get you uh, rooted cuttings on your kumquat. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, we're coming in probably the best time of year to do it as well. And uh, that propagating mat will certainly make it easier. But don't, you know, don't give up. Uh, You will do well. Having done the limes, you're on a roll now. (laughs) I certainly am. Well, Thank you, Bob. You know, I hope did Mike get? Uh, I mean, uh, did Max get to spend a little time with Doctor Kirby while you were gone? Yes, as a matter of fact, he's still there. I'll be picking him up before long, but uh, he gets what uh, Doctor Kirby calls the luxury suite back there. And uh, Dan has a couple of other long-term residents. They're almost as sweet as he is that he gets to visit with. So uh, he he actually probably gets more attention when he's over there. So he's always glad to see me, but he never complains about going to spend a little a little time boarding in his quote luxury suite over at Doctor Kirby's clinic. Well, that's good because I'm sure he has a few little holes in his heart, and that luxury treatment will will aid that. Absolutely. Joyce and Roberta said to tell me, we just uh, know it's more difficult for you to get out, but we sure miss seeing you, and we'll uh, we'll look forward to the next opportunity. And uh, you keep up all the good things you're doing, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. And we thank you for all you do. Thank you. All right, uh, let's get Kim in here before we come up to news time. Good morning, Kim. Good morning. I have a very quick question. I planted uh, some onions, uh, Egyptian onions and uh, Uh um, multiplying onions last year, and it was just so brutally hot, even though I had shade cloth on I thought they all just died, and now I uh-huh. noticed that it's getting cooler. I have only one little Egyptian onion, and, you know, like maybe 10, maybe that's too many little uh, multiplying onions coming up. But I'm thinking uh-huh. I need to move them to part of my garden that's a little bit shadier for next year. When is a good time to move them? Well, this is actually the best time of the year to do it. October, November, probably the two best months. This was an unusual summer, and it is, you know, on people and plants alike, it was just just 
brutal. And with what we call radiant heat, it wasn't uh, not so much the air temperature, but when the sun hits something and it warms that surface, we saw plant sunburning even in the shade that uh, I've never seen sunburn in all the years I've been growing things and things that were out in the sun. Uh, they're just things that normally take summers with without any problem whatsoever, just absolutely scorched this summer. So uh, don't put them in too much shade. If you can grow your multiplying onions where you get strong morning sun and then a little protection from the hot afternoon, but uh, as far as digging, dividing, replanting, planting new ones, uh, we're just coming up into the very best, uh, very best time of the year to do that. So uh, I'd try to have it done before the first of December. But you've got, you know, you've got six weeks time uh, between now and then that it'd be good to dig and divide. Okay. So when are they available at the nurseries? It is okay. hard to find at the nurseries. I wish we had. Uh, oh. You know, had a better source on them. That's one thing I hate to say. It you may have to you may have to go online to find now. Shallots and garlic are available in the nurseries now, but the Egyptian onions, the multiplying onions, are much harder to find. Okay, all right. Well, um, I might wait a, a couple weeks to let them get a little bit bigger and then move them. And do you know? Do do fertilize them regularly just the same has to grow plant or the uh, liquid fish blend both of those things are ideal and uh, don't ever let them get bone dry the uh, garlic is the worst but multiplying onions uh, also get an insect called a thrips insect when they when they get too dry between watering so uh, don't drown them but on the other hand don't ever let them get bone dry uh, feed regularly, and hopefully, I never use the word normal when I talk about Texas weather, but hopefully we'll be back to a little bit more typical Texas weather, both winter and summer in the near future. I think we all hope that because, oh, my gosh, I, I don't know if I can keep taking these summers here. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I'm Texan, so I grew up in San Antonio, so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's too much. <laughs> well, it, it's it has been brutal, but uh, I'm sure it's been you know certainly been drier before. When you look at the historic record, which they can do looking at tree ring data, we've had droughts worse than what we're experiencing now, and worse even than the so-called drought of the 50s. 2011 was our worst one-year drought, but uh, hopefully, hopefully things are breaking down a little bit in this. Uh, what's going on out in the western Pacific, and, and we'll get back to a more typical El Nino pattern, which means warmer and wetter. So I think we're we're all hoping for that. And um, anyway, well, you get out and have a great weekend. And when you get around to it, don't put it off too long. But uh, by Thanksgiving, um, try to have those, uh, those uh, multiplying onions divided up and repotted. I will. Thank you for your advice. Always a pleasure, Kim. Thank you. We're down to about uh, 15 seconds here before news time. Grab one of these open lines. You know the number, 210-599-5555. Lots of things to talk about. Broadcasting from down here at the Pearl today for the um, Big Herb Market. It's going to be a tremendous amount of fun. I hope you'll make it down uh, you know, sometime during the day and say hi to us. You're listening to KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 
All right, back to gardening, and uh, we do have pretty much an open board. You know how it gets later in the show when you get a lot of busy signals, have to sit on hold for quite some time. It'd be a great time to dial 210-599-5555, 210-599-5555, and we'll get you on pretty quickly. Broadcasting this morning from down at the Pearl, where... Ah, as always, uh, in fact, I see one of our old friends coming up. Rob, how many years have we been doing the herb market? <laughs> it's been, I bet it's been close to 30 years. At uh, uh, 26, I think one of the good folks down here is saying. This is... This is a uh, this is just an annual event down at the Pearl, and it's a lot of fun. It's free of charge to get in, uh, different places to park around. You don't find all the free parking you once did, but let me tell you what it's <laughs> it's certainly worth getting in. You may have to pay to get out, but you won't have to pay anything to get in down here. They have cooking demonstrations. They'll have uh, samples of different things. They have lots and lots and lots of vendors down here. So if you're looking for something fun to do today, officially opens at nine. Usually goes till about two or three in the afternoon or whenever folks start selling out of things. But if you've never been to the herb market, uh, it would certainly be a fun event for you. And Pearl's always fun. There's always something new going on down here. And uh, uh, they move us around. So uh, <laughs> it took me a minute to find out exactly where we were broadcasting. But we're kind of in the shadow of the big Pearl sign is one way to put it. Just south of the Hotel Emma. Um you, you won't have any trouble finding the herb market, so come on down and see us sometime this morning. Uh, right now, let's get back to the phone lines, and Janice is uh, first in line. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful morning, and uh, uh, my, engineer, my, phew, my engineer and I were just talking. Seems like usually we're sitting down here bundled up, shivering, so it's a very, very nice morning to get out. We're both happy to see that. Well, good. Um, I was calling about a couple things. First of all, anakwa trees. Uh-huh. Um, I, I really like them in terms of they're good, good trees that have survived the drought and they survived the freeze and everything else. Right. So I wanted to plant some more. But one anakwa that I have is about, say, 10 years old. I got it from y'all, you know, a long time ago. It's uh-huh. about 12 feet high. Um, it has a tendency to put out shoots. I kind of cut it back every once in a while, so I'm trying to keep it to a, a single trunk tree. But am I hurting it by doing that? No, not at all. Anakwa is a strong tree, and um, it's it's not like a crepe myrtle or a mountain laurel or something like that that gets top-heavy and is in danger of breaking. There, You'll see them around that are, oh, they don't get real big, probably 20, 25 feet tall, but uh, they're... They're a good upright tree, and making a single trunk out of it is just fine. Yeah. Well, now, how does it spread? Because I've got one small one that its little trunk is about as big around as my thumb, Mm -hmm. and it's growing about four feet away from the main tree. Did that come up from a seed, you think, or is that a runner that just got way out there? It most likely is from a seed. An aqua, you know, tends to make quite a lot of seed, 
And with the crazy weather, I'm not going to say it's impossible for it to be a root sprout, but get out there with your hose and just kind of wash the soil away from the base of it. I think you'll see that it has a fibrous root starting to spread out, and at that size, that far away from the trunk of the mother tree should not be a problem to transplant it. And collect some of the fruit off of the tree. It's a, They make a good deal of fruit most well, years. Well, love it. Oh yeah, when it's got the when it's got the berries on it, they're they're all over it. And you should be able, if you want to have more, you should be able to start some yourself. But I very much suspect that this is a separate little seedling coming up, so you should be able to dig it and transplant it. But begin by just taking your hose and just kind of washing the soil back and be sure it's not coming off of a root. But I give you about a ninety-five percent chance that it's a separate little plant. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I want to ask you about loquats. I okay. used to that used to be one of my favorite trees, like an understory tree, uh-huh. uh, a screening tree, and all that kind of thing. But between the two freezes and the drought and the heat, my loquats look really ragged. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I cut them back at the top. Um, I know that we should force out more growth on the sides, but. If I do that now at this time of the year, am I going to be hurting it? Or yeah, don't don't do it at this time of year, because when you cut back and the weather is still warm, and it is definitely still warm, that forces new growth to start out, and uh, the loquats really did suffer a great deal in the freezes. And for some reason, this year they seem to have suffered more than they did in, in uh, 2021 when it actually got colder. But we didn't have the snow to protect things and. Uh, uh, a lot of loquats were killed. A lot of them were badly damaged. And when when you stimulate new growth, it takes uh, two, three months at least really for it to harden off. So we don't want to prune in the fall when we're going to stimulate new growth. Now, once it gets, you know, really cold, you can prune if you want to. Best time of all to prune is going to be usually early to mid-February, just before the plants will be starting their new spring growth. And it will most definitely come back out as a much better shaped uh, bush. I think most of the ones that are going to die from the freeze damage have already done so. Uh, Some of them it took a couple of years for them to die. But if yours is still hanging in there, water it thoroughly. Water it deeply when you water. And just just figure right around Valentine's Day will be the time you want to cut it back. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Always a pleasure, Janice. Thank you for the call. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. All right, let's go ahead and talk to Patrick next. Then it'll be Tracy and Omar right now. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Bob. I've got a problem with my avocado tree. Uh, I was out there talking to it the other day in the garden. (laughs) I gave it a name, Awana, Awana Avocado. uh, (laughs) Sounds good. During the last uh, growing season, it started producing avocados. It stands about five feet tall right now and uh very good back during the last growing season i put some fertilizer on it and i was looking at all the avocados that it had and then at about 10 or 10 10 or 14 days later all the avocados fell off and i went what so i was just wondering uh somebody said well it probably had too much nitrogen in it and they don't like nitrogen so uh i was kind of curious as what might have caused that and uh, in addition to that, in, in the interim up to now, uh, there's two more 
avocado uh, trees that are growing. It's a 25-gallon bucket, and uh-huh. they're popping up two young ones. So I'm kind of wondering where I'm at with this. Well, there are a lot of things that will cause them to drop. Um, I would suggest, especially in a container, you want to use an organic fertilizer only, and you really don't want to use much of anything that is designed for landscape plants. Now, if it's organic, it's going to be okay. It's not going to cause a lot of problems, but if it's a synthetic chemical fertilizer, they're very high in salt content, and they there are an awful lot of plants killed when people decide to put the same thing they put on their grass, you know, on things in containers. Now, again, if you're using a Medina product or a Maestro Grow or Nature's Creation product that's organic, you're not going to kill things. But in the containers, uh, stick to liquid fertilizers, and you'll be much, much better off. Uh, the heat uh, this summer caused some fruit to abort, um, and sometimes you will have... Uh, a plant will start to grow a fruit uh, when there wasn't adequate pollination. The fruit starts to grow, starts to develop, and then something chemical inside the plant say says, you know, hey, it's I'm not making the seed I'm supposed to make, and the fruit will drop off. So a lot of different things can cause it to drop. But it's a young plant. If it's only five feet tall, it's really just getting started. And, and at that stage, they frequently put on more fruit than they can ever ripen. So... Um, things I would tell you to do, and obviously you're you're doing okay with your watering and all, but stick strictly to a liquid uh, natural fertilizer. And uh, if we don't have, you know, the avocados kind of have a weird flower, uh, but you may need to get in and help out the bees. Uh, all of a sudden this fall we're seeing honeybees again, but back in the season when a lot of citrus was in bloom, a lot of other things were in bloom, we had very little bee activity. And a lot of fruit dropped off simply because it didn't get adequately pollinated. So um, if, if your trees sound like they're growing well and uh, just watch your watering, like I say, be sure you stick into a liquid natural fertilizer. And next year you should be eating lots of guacamole. Yeah, it was a granular organic fertilizer that we got. And uh, But my other question was, is what do I do about the two uh, shoots that have come up that are growing? I mean, the leaves are huge on these little mm-hmm. small uh, uh, trunks that have come up out of that tank. Is that is that growth off the root or what? Is this a, was a named variety, a Joey or, you know, Lila or one of the named varieties? Where where did you originally get the plant? I bought it at Fanix. We live okay. in the Verde area. And they, yeah. They yeah. This is one that's trees tolerant for that uh, area. Right. And so uh, it is a grafted plant, so chances are the two smaller ones are coming off the rootstock rather than off the scion, as we call the part that's grafted on. So probably ought to cut those off. I suspect very strongly they're coming out from the rootstock. Unless you want to uh, re-graft and, you know, graft more um, desirable varieties, shall we say, onto that rootstock. But if you let the rootstock grow out, it tends to take strength from uh, the original graft, and, and sometimes a good part of the tree will die out. So at this point, either, uh, well, I think it probably would be a good idea just to cut those two shoots off. They're not coming from seeds, and like I say, they're going to steal strength from the roots. The rootstock's always stronger than the scion grafted to it, so uh, they pretty much need to come off. Well, the last part of this is is that I'm, ta- I'm thinking of taking it out of the uh, uh, 
25 gallon bucket and putting it in the ground uh is there anything that i need to be doing to prepare the ground for that the soil i have is the garden soil that we got was from the company that used to be called stone and soil and so right, site uh, one now yeah right as long yeah as long as the soil drains well and they do make pretty good soils um you should be fine uh you said you're in the Bulverde area right it's we have it you know those big butter blocks we have yeah. them double stacked so it's okay the, the dirt in there is uh probably four and a half feet deep and then it's in in a long garden of about 25 foot so we're going to isolate one area of it for that well, it will be easier to maintain as long as it doesn't get bitterly cold. It'll be happier in the ground than it is in a pot. Uh, transplant it very carefully because being in a big container like that, I'm sure it's not real well rooted through. So um, if it were me, I probably would wait till spring to do it. But uh, it, And that way, if we do wind up with a cold winter, the meteorologists are saying not so cold. The farmer's almanac saying really cold. So believe what you will believe. But I probably would wait. I'd, I would get through whatever winter throws at us, and probably about March or April would be the best time to go ahead and get it in the ground. The preparation you've done should be a great place to grow an avocado. You, you're guaranteeing perfect drainage, and that's very important in growing them well. Okay. All right. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Always a pleasure, Patrick. Thank you for the call. Tracy, Omar, Mario, you are my next three callers. Right now, I get to talk about Wild Birds Unlimited. Again, one of the places that I love to visit and I recommend so highly to you. If you're into nature, if you're looking for a good gift, if you love birding, there's lots and lots of reasons to get by and see Wild Birds Unlimited. There are so many beautiful migratory birds coming through right now, not to mention our native blackbacks. And gosh, if, if you're into birding, Wild Birds Unlimited has the seed blends that the birds really need this time of year. They have all sorts of feeders, many of which come with a lifetime guarantee. Still have some hummers hanging around? Well, you probably want to get some of the solution that you can put in with your nectar that makes it last a little bit longer because hummingbirds aren't emptying those feeders nearly as quickly and you certainly want to keep the nectar fresh. Uh, there's so many things that they can help you with out at Wild Birds Unlimited. Plus, they're not just a nature store. They also have wonderful gift merchandise out there. It's just always fun. I stop by regularly out on Northwest Military, uh, well, right there at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side of the shopping center that faces Northwest Military. But if you're looking for a fun store to visit, if you're looking for a great nature gift for kids or adults, do what I do. Go by and see our friends at Wild Birds Unlimited. And if you have a question, give them a call. The number's easier to remember, 479-BIRD, 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, our friend Marilyn McGarro was just stopping by the where we're broadcasting from down here at the Herb Market. And remind me, it's actually the 32nd annual Herb Market, if you can believe that. Seminar's going to start at 10. First one's going to be basically on growing herbs. Uh, 11 o'clock, uh, Mary Denver's going to be talking all about ginger. 12 o'clock, uh, Connie Shepard, who's a uh, demonstration extension 
Oh, gosh. Uh, horticulture demonstration agent up in uh, Comal County and one expert when it comes to uh, kickle- pickling and canning and all sorts of things. Connie's going to be talking about different things you can do with ginger and other herbs. So it's going to be quite a great market down here at the Pearl. Sure hope you will come down and join us. Um, first in line, let's see, it's going to be Tracy and then Omar and then Mario and Betty. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. Um, I have a crazy question. I almost hung up before I asked it because it's crazy. <laughs> no such thing. I can't well, wait to hear. Okay. okay. So my beds were really dried out because my water works got, it was messed up and it wasn't working. So the, the beds dried out and they mm-hmm. almost as if they didn't have organic materials. So over about a month, we fixed the water, put some new compost in and everything's working great. But all of a sudden, earthworms were there again. How did uh-huh. that happen? There was no earthworms in this raised bed, and all of a sudden, they're back. Well, they, the eggs can live in the soil for a long time, um, and earthworms do move. Um, and is is the bottom of the it, it's a raised bed, but it doesn't have a solid bottom, does it? It's actually on sitting no. on earth. Yeah, but it's sitting on top of rock and clay. You know, you know, caliche from hill country. So you the, would, the bed's yep. been there for a long time. It's, and it's possible that the eggs have been just not, I mean, in dry soil, they're not going to hatch and develop. Um, they come in, you know, lots of different ways. They may come in with uh, birds coming in and landing, pecking around in the soil. But once they get started, they do reproduce very quickly. If you're interested in earthworms, there is a most interesting little book. It's called The Earth Moved. And, uh, gosh, give me a couple of minutes. I can uh, think of the name of the author. But uh, uh, it's one of the most fascinating things. Someone actually gave it to me on CDs. And uh, it's um, oh, it's by the same author that uh, wrote some interesting things like The Plant That Killed Lincoln's Mother. And uh, But anyway, look for the little book called The Earth Moved, and you okay. will learn... I didn't know they could get four hours of information on earthworms, but fascinating, fascinating thing. But you just gave them a good situation, and once you've got a couple earthworms in there, you will have more and more and more. So could have come in from a number of different places. Could have actually come in with plants that you've planted. Uh, When plants come to us from the growers, we occasionally find that they already have earthworms in the soil there, and you could have brought them in with the last things you planted in that bed. Hmm. Okay, well, thank you. Well, you're certainly welcome, and that was not a crazy question at all. That was a very good question, Tracy. You call me anytime. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Goodbye. All right, Omar's next in line. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? <clears throat> Off to a good start. Beautiful morning out here this morning. It is. It is. I'm, I'm trailered up and saddled up and going to help a guy work some cows, and it should be a good morning. Uh, it's always a good morning when you're on a horse. <laughs> don't get yeah. to do that as much as I did in my younger years, but uh, horses have taken me. It's so funny. I'm a hiker, and I had a girl on horseback say, I never have understood why anybody would walk somewhere that a horse could take them, but uh, 
you know it's our 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 country was built around horses and our our traditional way of life which so many people have forgotten in south texas uh came along because of the those working horses out there so you get out just do it safely and have a great day of it how can i help you today i got two comments and one question uh the indigo snake thing you know i've lived anywhere from between Bee County and the Valley, and they're pretty common, but they are a, they are a beautiful snake, you know. And, and docile, most of them. You know, I, I worked up by to change a water filter the other day at, at a water well, and one hung out right there with me, 18 inches away until I was done, and then he just never never moved. He just got it underneath the pressure tank, and that's reset. They are an interesting, interesting snake, and uh, they've got a pretty good set of teeth. They're certainly not venomous or anything like that yeah. but uh and and like anything else they're you're gentle with them they're generally pretty gentle with you but just be sure you know where the head is at all times yes sir, yes, sir. and uh uh <coughs> last week's show there's somebody over you know the recorded show something about uh, the bees and pollinators and you know we've got two one african and one texas ebony tree uh-huh. And the bees absolutely love it. So, in, in case anybody wants to plant one, that's they, they will sure attract the bees. Yeah, you can't. They, we get very far north of San Antonio. They just aren't cold hardy. But as you move south, ebony's are beautiful trees. And uh, yes, the bees are. The bees just absolutely love them. And uh, it's it's a very good thing. And I always tell people, people worry about bees and worry about the Africanized bees, which you guys certainly deal with in South Texas. But when bees are out foraging, it doesn't matter whether they're Africanized or not. They're all docile bees. The only time you have to worry about bees is if you're disturbing their hive, and then you want to be real careful what you're doing. But, uh, yeah, ebony trees are great for bees, and we need to give the bees all the help we can right now because they're still our chief pollinators. Yes, sir. And uh, and to my question with uh, an ornamental pepper, New Mexico Twilight, and then hot uh-huh. peppers, Tabasco, and chili piquin, what makes them just up and decide to, you know, today I'm just going to shut down and, and there's nothing you can do to save me. <laughs> and are these um, ones that you've had for more than one year, or are they this year's plants? Uh, they, they, they were this year. The chili piquin and the and the New Mex Twilight were this year's. The Tabascos were were uh, I, you know, that, I've had them stay you know a year and a half or two. But these yeah. the Tabasco were a year old. The other ones were were this year's. I started in the spring, and some of them just from one day to the next. That's it. Well, realize that a lot of those peppers and the name New Mexico Twilight should tell you something. There are you know, there are so many different kinds of peppers, and there are actually several different classes of peppers, and a lot of them are happier at a little higher altitude, a little bit cooler conditions, and uh, hard as it is to say, it, this, this summer just took a toll on them, and a lot of them just hung in there as long as they could. It's especially true of the poblanos and some of these. Uh, I've not seen that happen much with the hotter peppers, but um, it probably was just too hot for them this summer um if if they are relatively young plants now i we're a little late into the fall now to be planting more but uh i think it's probably just just weather and it was probably the heat because this was far hotter than usual and you're just looking at several varieties of peppers that in to be happy they really would like to be planted in mexico or somewhere like that and uh 
Uh, it just got too hot for them this summer, and up to a certain point, they hang in there, and then just like you say, they just fold up, and overnight they wilt and don't come back. Yeah, got you, got you. <clears throat> well, <laughs> well, thanks for the insight on the indigo snakes, and uh, it's always a pleasure hearing from you. You get out and uh, yeah, be sure. safe on that horse today, but uh, it just uh, there's just something good for the soul about. Uh, I have a good friend up in Wyoming who participates every year in the longest continuously operated uh, cattle drive. They move uh, cattle from the uh, ranch lands down along the Green River up into the mountains uh, uh, every spring and, uh, you know, still do it with the old chuck wagon, still do it uh, the way our forefathers did. And uh, it's uh, I've never had the opportunity to participate, but get lots of lots of pictures and lots of stories. So uh, you get out and enjoy and pass it on to your kids. That sounds like a heck of a vacation. (laughs) Amen to that. Have a great weekend, Omar. (laughs) Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. All right. uh, I get to talk to you for a moment about Medina Agriculture. And once again, that's always a pleasure. Medina makes natural products, makes organic products. Uh, Some of their products are certified organic. That's a very expensive process. So uh, they they don't certify everything, even though most of their products are organic or at the very least they're going to be natural products that just work the way nature intended as old malcolm beck used to say we don't feed the plants we feed the soil and the soil feeds the plants and that's kind of what medina has based their 60 some odd year history on and that is working with soils increasing the microbial life in the soil which in turn makes for healthier stronger more productive plants and the produce that you get from plants fed with medina products is going to be better quality as far as things that we eat things that we use in the way of herbs that's what we're doing down here today is a big herb market let me tell you medina makes some of the finest products you'll find anywhere along with good fertilizers things that are good for the landscape products that just build the soil like medina plus and medina soil activator the humate products and oh by the way that medina plus is one of the best things you'll ever use as a root stimulator and starter also great to use in the compost pile i could go on and on talking about medina check out their website at medinaag.com look for their fine products wherever quality organic products are sold that's medina agriculture South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Broadcasting down here at the uh, Herb Market at the Pearl, 32nd Annual. Going to be quite an event. Starting to come to life down here. Starting to unload. Starting to see the vendors arrive. Put it on your schedule today. Uh, Absolutely free of charge to get in. I don't know how much you'll spend while you're down here because there are going to be a lot of things to tempt you. But uh, make it down if you can. Officially, the gates open, although there are no gates. The event starts at 9 o'clock, I guess I should say, and uh, we'd love to see you down here. Uh, First in line is Mario. Good morning, Mario. Morning. Morning, sir. I had a question. A couple of weeks ago, I had a sewer line problem. I didn't know they ran two sewer lines in a house I bought back. Uh, well, the house was built in 64. Needless to say, we dug up the wrong one first. And then we, about five feet over, two feet deeper, we found the second line. Well, you can imagine what it did to our St. Augustine carpet grass. My wife oh, was wow. with a shovel after she saw it. <laughs> but uh, my question was, we tried to save, you know, the most we could out of it. And we replanted it, but um, is it too late to lay a, 
uh, buy a pallet, you think, and lay it on top, or is there anything I can do? You can certainly still plant grass. Um, a, a pallet of grass goes a long way. Uh, describe the area. Is it like two just long lanes down where you dug a trench, or is it just a big, broad area that you need to get the grass reestablished in? Yeah, it's, well, it's actually like, a, I'd say, 20 by 30 feet long area. Yeah. Well, nothing uh, wrong we with planting grass. There too, so that's yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, we had an escalator it, on there, too, so that, you know, kind of did some damage. But, uh, no, you, you're fine. Um, you know, be sure to inspect the grass when... Uh, are you going to be picking it up, or are you going to have it delivered to you, do you think? No, I'll probably go pick it up. Okay. Well, always don't look at the top layer of sod. Dig down two or three layers deep. Stick your hand in there. If it feels hot and clammy, it's been stacked too long. Grass really should be planted the day after it's uh, cut from the field. So inspect your grass carefully. Um, get it all out the first day. You know, get some of that golden adult beverage and uh, call all the friends you know, and it won't be very much work. But uh, put down a little organic fertilizer on top of the soil. Put your grass down. Very important that you get one of the water fillable rollers and roll it after it's down. You're not trying to level it. You're just trying to take out the air pockets between your new grass and the soil underneath. And um, I, you should have a beautiful lawn by spring. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you. You're more than welcome. What what kind of grass are you going to plant? I'll probably kind of go with the same thing. You know, the whole yard, the whole around the house is St. Augustine. And yeah. It's just beautiful. It's just this year took a beating with the heat, you know. Yeah. Well, if you're not in a hurry, yeah, if you're not in a hurry, you can actually go dig up some little plugs out of your existing grass and, you know, just spread them through there one foot on center, and uh, you'll be amazed how quickly they will grow together. But uh, if you want instant yard, yeah, it's still a fine thing to do. If you're in the shade, I'll recommend either Palmetto or Del Mar. If it's a sunny area, it's hard to beat Floritam as far as a really tough a little bit more drought-tolerant St. Augustine, but uh, do get it done within the next uh, two or three weeks if you can. And once I do that, do I spread a fertilizer on top or do I wait? I put the fertilizer underneath. Uh, I'd go ahead and put it down. Now, be sure you're using organic. Uh, the synthetic fertilizers will dehydrate and cause problems, but uh, Medina or, or Nature's Creation, Maestro Grow, uh, those are quality products, and uh, you can put those down, put your new salt on top of it, and you'll be amazed at how quickly it'll grow. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My great pleasure, Mario. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Uh, Betty's next in line. Good morning, Betty. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. I have um, grape hyacinths coming up, and I always forget <laughs> about them. They're in a neglected area. Right. And I want to put them in a better place. Do I wait till after they bloom? Then I forget about them again. <laughs> <laughs> well, is you will the blooms won't last as long, but that's a tough little plant. I mean, once you've got grape hyacinths, you're going to have grape hyacinths forever. Um, they haven't really started. At least mine haven't started budding yet. Uh, if you can, if if you can, and, and the nice thing about them, they're a small bulb with a relatively small root system. So if you can, you know, get three or four inches of soil around the little plant, you can transplant them, and they're hardly going to 
even know they've been moved. Uh, you may not have quite as good bloom this fall, but uh, I I wouldn't hesitate to do it this afternoon. Okay. Yeah, they've been in a long time, and they've multiplied considerably, and um, <laughs> it's just they're not in a, in a good spot. Well, then get out there this morning or this afternoon or as soon as you can and move them to a better spot. Remember, the more sun they get, the better they will bloom. But uh, And do spread them out because, as you've discovered, they not only make seed, but they make additional little bulbs down at the base. And uh, okay. where you have one, pretty soon you'll have a whole clump of them. Okay. Should I be fertilizing them? Would that help with if, the bloom? I know they're in too oh. much shade right now. Fertilizing will help with the growth. Better growth will help with the blooming. They they have already formed their buds for this spring, even if you can't see them. They're what we call bud primordia. And fertilizing them will help them be stronger plants. The blooms that you get will last longer. Uh, but it's uh, you're not going to increase the blooming. You're just going to increase the quality of the bloom. By this time next year, you should have all the blooms you can imagine. Okay, because if I remember from last year, they didn't hardly bloom at all, but they are in pretty much shade. Yeah, now get about the sun and they'll do much better. Okay, okay. and the other one I have is the schoolhouse lily that comes yes. in September. Well, right. it didn't hardly come up, I guess, because of the drought, or I don't know. Now, I, you know, they come up and bloom with no leaves or whatever. Right, right. And then the now I have leaves, but they didn't ever bloom. Are they in the shade too, or are they in out in full sun? Uh, shade. Yeah, they really need to get out in the sun, but those you will need to wait until summer to move them. They have that kind of long tubular neck, and if you break that, the whole bulb will just rot and die. Yeah, but some people call them oxbloods, schoolhouse lilies, yeah, properly rhodophiala, but um, they are outstanding plants. But let them come up, fertilize them regularly, do the best you can for the foliage in the spring and early summer, and then after the foliage dies back, uh, dig them, divide them, and move them out to the sun. And uh, they're absolutely amazing. They don't come up and bloom until that first rain of the fall. You can dump water on them out of the hose for months and months and months, and nothing happens. You get one good rain, and that's when they come up. Yours just haven't gotten enough sun to bloom well, but uh, you can okay. change that by next year. Okay. Thank you so much, Bob. I appreciate all your help. Always a pleasure, Betty. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, uh, Kay, Dolores, and Larry, that was your, my next three callers, but I need to get a quick break in here. And I have the pleasure of talking to you about my friends at Kinetico. Speaking of water, uh, even a Kinetico water softener won't make your oxbloods bloom any sooner. But I tell you what, a Kinetico water softener will certainly make your life better. Uh, and it's just, they're so trouble-free. I know you hear water softener ads constantly, but the great majority of the ones you hear about are the ones that are electronic that plug in that run on a little bit of uh, on a little computer there lots of problems associated with that if you get a power surge or lightning strike it can burn your whole uh, computer out in your in your water softener and because they are electronic they recharge on a preset schedule now compare that with Kinetico that doesn't plug in Kinetico water softeners run on the kinetic energy in the water they're not dependent on electricity and a lightning strike or a 
power surge will never hurt them. And you will never have to worry about wasting salt and water because Kinetico only recharges when it needs to be recharged. Twin tank system, so you never run out of soft water. I love my Kinetico. I've loved it for 20 years, ever since Brad Messer first told me about Kinetico. Uh, they're just such a trouble-free, dependable system. In fact, Kinetico lets you try it for 90 days before you pay for it, if you like. If you're in need of a new water softener, if you want the water softener that'll be the last water softener you will ever own, well, learn about Kinetico. Go to KineticoSA.com or give them a call at 210-656-PURE for Kinetico. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here. Kay, Dolores, Larry, and uh, Jorge, I believe, will be next up. Kay is first in line. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Good morning. Howard Garrett is, I've heard him brag, on the Orangeola maple. Is that yes, uh-huh. that can be grown in our area? Oh, very much so. It's uh, one of the Japanese maples. It's very much an understory tree. It's not something you want to put out in the hot sun. But um, orange oil, uh, it's it's a little harder to find, but uh, it will do extremely well in our area. Like all the Japanese maples, it likes good soil, but it's one that can be grown in a pot or in the ground. And like I say, keep it in the shade or keep it where it gets morning sun. No, no hot, hot afternoon sun, and it'll do very well for you. Oh, are they available at most nurseries, or just you have to really look? You really have to look. Call around, um, but uh, you will find them. Most of them are grown on the West Coast, uh, Northern California, on up into Oregon. Um, Any nurseries that deal with Monrovia may very well have them. But we're just getting into the season when a lot of nurseries will be getting their fall shipments of trees. So uh, call around and ask, and uh, you'll find it to be a good variety. It's It's just a little hard to locate. Okay. All right. Thanks. That's all I have for you. Okay. I appreciate the call. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Next in line is Dolores. Good morning, Dolores. Good morning. Good morning to you. We, I just wanted to let you know, Dolores and Darla from the South Texas area have, have been listening to you all along, but we've had a little bit of health issues and the weather, and we just haven't called in, but we're still here. Well, I'm so glad to hear from you. Hope hope life is getting better. Well, we do too. Thank you. Uh, I've got a question about uh, pruning peach trees. When is the best time uh-huh. to do that? The best time is when the leaves are off in the winter months. And as you probably know, we thin them more than we prune them. The first year you plant them, you actually will do some true pruning to determine the overall shape of the tree. But beyond that... Every year you're going through and just thinning them out by about 50%. Uh, January, real any time after they lose their leaves, really from the middle of December on through the early part of February, all with the, all any time in there is going to be a good time to thin out your peaches and plums. And uh, we don't do much pruning on apples and pears, but peaches and plums need to be thinned heavily at that time of year. Well, I have three peach trees, and they are just full of limbs and leaves. But I don't have any pollinators for some reason down here. 
I've got yellow jackets, but that's about it. And so well, I'll, you can actually get out. Yeah, you can actually get out when those trees are in bloom. If you pr- have uh, started out your trees to where they have a low spreading uh, growth habit, you can actually get out with a little pollinate with a little paintbrush and do a lot of pollinating yourself. You can put out, you know, putting out beehives is a lot of work and and not not for everybody, but what we call mason bees, and they're like a hundred different species of mason bees in Texas. Uh, they're actually better pollinators than the honeybees. They're a solitary bee, and uh, you can you can read online about how you can make your own little um, nesting box, so to speak, for them, or if you visit a nature store like Wild Birds Unlimited or somewhere like that or a good nursery, you'll actually see a little, they look like soda straws stacked one on top of another, Or you can get out uh, and just, you know, take an old piece of dry cedar wood, drill a bunch of uh, holes two, three inches down into the wood, uh, hang it up in a shady spot. Uh, The mason bees are, we still seem to have plenty of them. The honeybees, not so much right now, but uh, do your best to encourage the mason bees around where your peach trees are. And uh, once you get once you get them coming around re- regularly, you won't have to worry about pollination. Okay, then. Thank you so much. It's you good to hear from day. you. You all do the same. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dolores. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, back to the top of the board now. Larry's next, and then it'll be George. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Bob. Say, good morning, I've got sir. A terrible problem with uh, either. Uh, armadillos or or uh, possums plowing up my mm-hmm. yard. Okay. Uh, I haven't been able to get the um, nematodes for so long. Uh, so e- any solutions for me? Uh, all I can really tell you is trap and relocate. Uh, they, the only problem is it's not just armadillos and possums, but sometimes you'll find a skunk or two out there digging. You'll find raccoons out there digging. They're, they're, I, I mean, my yard it is just full of I don't know that I've ever seen a time that they're in. I guess there are yards are the only places where there's much moisture and consequently the only places where they're going to find earthworms, grubworms, whatever it is they're looking for. In a limited area, putting out blood meal will tend to repel them. But uh, they're like everything else. They're hungry, and it's not really practical to do a whole yard. So uh, I'm afraid I'm I'm big into live trap and relocate them elsewhere. And what you're trapping, uh, it'll depend on, on how you go about getting them into the trap. But uh, uh, skunks, possums, raccoons, armadillos, all of them are, are just tearing the yards up right now. Yeah. Well, a second thought then. I got a fig tree that's overwhelming uh, my space. When's a good time mm-hmm. to prune that? You can prune a fig almost any time except now. <laughs> you can prune them in the spring. <laughs> you can prune them in the summer. You can prune them in the uh-huh. early fall. But figs are one of our least hardy trees, so we really don't 
prune them while it's still warm enough to stimulate new growth. Because you prune that fig back a week later, it's going to be trying to put on new growth, which won't have, in most years, they're not going to have time to really harden that growth off before we tend to get into freezing weather. So um, probably the very best time is going to be late February, early March, just when they start to put on their spring growth. And the good thing about a fig tree, you can prune it back pretty much as far as you like. They do tend to make big trees, but uh, if you need to substantially reduce the size at that time of year, you can certainly do it. Okie doke. Hey, well, thank you, Bob. I really enjoy your show. and, and uh, I, pre- I appreciate the call this morning, and you have a great weekend as well. And let's try to sneak George in here before the newscast. Uh, good morning, George. Mr. Webster. Oh, good, Hi, good morning, morning, sir. Mr. Webster. Hi, good morning. No, um, that was my father. I'm Bob. <laughs> oh, okay, Bob. <laughs> good morning. Hey, I got a couple of questions on trees. Um, so, like with Vitex, Desert Willow, or Buckeye, is mm-hmm. it okay to keep them trimmed to about six, seven feet tall? Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, this is not really the time of year that you will want to do that. Um Okay, Vitex and Buckeye and Desert Willow, all those are going to be best pruned in early spring. Um, early spring, okay. Yeah, you're going to limit yourself on flowers because uh, especially the Mexican Buckeye is going to be, you know, early spring bloomer. So it blooms on buds that actually form in the fall. So um, if if you just need to reduce the size, you're not worried about reducing the blooming, um you can do it in in early spring if you want to enjoy the pink flowers let them bloom first and prune immediately afterwards uh desert willow is more summer blooming you can pretty much bloom prune it uh early spring and you'll be just fine on that um okay so it was mixing a buckeye and desert willow which was the third vitex and, and the vitex vitex is a summer bloomer that blooms on new wood you can prune those again probably the very best time is going to be sometime January through, oh, mid-February, and then you'll still have plenty of time for them to put on lots of uh, summer flowers. But all three of those are excellent plants. Your your Vitex really wants to be out in full sun, as does your Desert Willow. Um, okay. Your Mexican Buckeye is going to be best where it gets uh, sun in the morning but shade in the afternoon. Mm, okay. Oh, and, and one last one. Um, so this is for my neighbor. Um, they have a lot of cedar elm saplings that are kind of, they're overgrowing in their yard. What's uh-huh. the best way to get rid of those saplings so that they don't return? I, I know there'll be a lot oh, of later on. Yeah, you just pull them up when they're small if you can. Otherwise, you almost have to dig them up because you cut them down. They're not as bad as hackberries, but they really will come back. But uh, if yeah. you dig them down, cut them off several inches below the surface of the ground. We'll be right back with more gardening. You're listening to Gardening right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. Well, if you hurry up, you probably get that last line. I guess got everybody's attention because it looks like Janie and Rudy and John are going to be my next three callers. Uh, we're broadcasting this morning down here at the Pearl, getting ready for the herb market. Uh, sun's about to come up, but people are already down here getting set up. And it's going to be, once again, it's going to be a great day. And uh, herb market is absolutely free to get into. 
Uh, you have to look around to find the free parking now. I don't understand why they decided to start charging for parking over there under 281. But uh, anyway, it won't cost you a penny to get into the herb market. It may cost you a dollar or two to get out. But uh, seminars started about 10, and this goes on into early afternoon. So if you're looking for something fun to do today, make it down to the herb market. Ah, looks like Janie is up first. Good morning, Janie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Couple of questions for you. Um, we're looking for some ryegrass to use in our yard um, for a little green this winter. And someone I called around, and someone had something called new turf, I think, um, compared to just a dwarf rye. And I was wondering if you had any information on that. Now, tell me once again what what you're hearing about. Um, it was a form of ryegrass. It was more of a turf mm-hmm. grass. Okay. I don't um, remember exactly what it was called. Yeah, there there are a number of good varieties out there. You want what they call perennial rye. They're not really perennial. They're going to last later on into the summer uh, than something like your old Oregon annual rye. But uh, I don't know that particular one. Uh, my favorite variety the past couple of years has been one called Top flight f-l-i-t-e we used to get one called playmate which was really good but um uh there you know there are a number of them out there but the one you want to stay away from is the old-fashioned what they call oregon rye or annual rye it's a lot cheaper but it's a mess it's almost impossible to mow (laughs) and uh um, if you know, if it is a compact variety, it should do very well for you. Uh, it's time to get it planted any time now. Just you know, plenty of water, plenty of sunlight. It will grow in the shade, but it's always going to get a little taller. Going to require a little bit more mowing in the shade, but uh, uh, it's a great way. If you're overseeding existing grass, plan on using about uh, a pound of seed for every hundred square feet. Uh, if you're trying to prevent mud and get out in an area where you just have no grass, a little bit heavier, about a pound for every 50 square feet. But uh, I I don't know that variety, but if it's a perennial type, it should do just fine for you. Okay. Um, my other question was, I bought a mum, and I was curious if you should, um, when replanting that into another pot, should you go to a bigger pot, or are they kind of designed to stay in the same size pot? You probably don't need to repot it. If you want to plant them in the ground, that's fine. Um, is it in bud now? Is it in bloom now? Uh, it's starting to bloom. It's mostly buds. Okay. I wouldn't, anytime you transplant things, you're going to shock it a little bit. At this point, enjoy the flowers. Um, there's no reason to repot it like everything else. They grow better and bloom better when they're root bound. So I would let it, uh, I would enjoy the flowers. At that point, I'd cut about two inches off the top. And that's the time when I would either replant it into a bigger pot or put it into the ground. Chrysanthemums are one plant that I well, like most things, anything I'm keeping in a pot, I want it to be in bloom all the time. Chrysanthemums are going to be beautiful in the fall, 
but then probably not much again until next fall. So I don't want to have to look at just a, a green plant sitting there for 10 months before it decides to give me more flowers. So I like, I love mums, but I, I like them better in flower beds than I do in pots. So enjoy it while it's in bloom. And then if you have a place to put it that gets pretty good sun, I just go ahead and put it in the ground. Okay. But they do like being root bound. So I uh, put Every plant writes it. Uh, yeah, if you want to put it in a bigger pot and grow it that way once it finishes blooming, but I, I wouldn't shock it right now. The blooms won't develop or last as long uh, if you repot it right now. Let it let it bloom, enjoy the flowers, and then repot it or plant it, whichever suits you best. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. You and your family enjoy a wonderful weekend. I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, let's see here. Next in line is going to be Rudy. Good morning, Rudy. Good morning, Bob. I have a Good couple morning. of questions. And okay. uh, it, one of them is I need to know about fertilizing my San Augustine grass out here in the Hondo area. And uh, okay. I need to know the best type of uh, organic uh, and what ratio does it need that's on the bag? Basically, don't pay any attention to the ratios. That, you know, in the days when everybody was using synthetic fertilizers, uh, yeah, you wanted to use something that was a little higher in nitrogen and maybe a little higher in phosphorus in the fall months. But when you're using organic products, natural products, you just can pretty much ignore the numbers. The other thing, don't worry about the fact that your organic products are going to have lower numbers because... Because of the of the form that the nutrients are in, your St. Augustine's going to get a hundred percent of the nitrogen, a hundred percent of the phosphorus, hundred percent of the potassium. Within synthetic products that don't bind to the soil, you're lucky if your fertilize if your plants get ten percent of the fertilizer. Oh. So. Um, and you've got one of the best companies in the world <laughs> right there in Hondo, and that's Medina Agriculture out there okay. on the on the highway on the west side of town. Yeah. And they, they have two different forms of growing green um, for a granular fertilizer. I have to say I like the original growing green a little bit better, but either one of them is a great product, and uh, it, it'll do very well. Now is a great time to put it out. The fall fertilizing is the most important fertilizing of the year, so I try to get it done in the next two or three weeks, if at all possible. And, and how uh, much do I need for about 3,000 square feet? About 40 pounds. One 40-pound bag will do you just fine. Yes, sir. It's actually a little more than you need, but it, you're going to... You know, it'd be it'd be a lot cheaper to buy one forty pound bag than to buy two twenty pound bags. So, sure. um, yeah, just get your forty pound, and if you have any left over, throw it up around your shrubs and trees. I use that product in vegetable garden, flower beds, orchard. Um, it's good for everything okay. that grows. It's not just a turf fertilizer. And I can use it on my shrubs then around the house. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, and it doesn't Great. even have to be watered in. It doesn't really go to work until it gets watered in, but unlike the synthetic products, um, it, it, there's no rush to water. It can sit there until the next time it rains if it needs to without any damage whatsoever. Good deal. Thank you, Bob. And uh, also now, uh, I love these live uh, oak, uh, and uh, I love them because they're twisted and gnarly and 
seems to grow uh, out of one big root, it seems like. And uh, I've got a bunch of acorns here, and I want to know what do I need to do to be able to maybe see if they'll grow out of uh, out of those acorns. Well, just plant them. I would put them in pots just to protect the acorns. They say a, a snail, a snail, a squirrel can smell an acorn even six right. inches down in the soil. So yeah. I would start them out in containers, and I would put some hardware cloth or chicken wire or something like that, you know, over the top of the container because you know your old friendly bushy tail guy is going to come around and dig yeah. them up and eat them given the chance. But um, the best thing to do is pick up the acorns and throw them into a bucket of water. The ones that sink are going to be the viable ones. The ones that float probably are not going to be viable. The ones that sink, you'll get almost 100% of them to grow. Choose the somewhat larger acorns if you can. They're going to be a little mm-hmm. bit stronger starting out, but uh, okay. and it doesn't make any difference which, what um, whether you plant them upside down or right side up. Just uh, plant them about you know an inch down, and uh, any good nursery will happily give you old juice pots and uh, just start a bunch of them. Put the soak your acorns in garret juice or something like that for about thirty minutes. Plant them. Mm-hmm. Most of okay. them will not sprout until spring. But uh, you can grow as many of those gnarly old live oaks as you like. And do I leave those outside, or do I bring them in uh, into a shed or something? Leave them outside unless the temperature is going to be significantly below freezing. Down to 28 or so, I just leave them you know, out in a bright spot, probably on the south side of the house, so it's not going to get all the cold wind. If we're going to get a really hard freeze, yeah, drag them into the garage or storeroom or whatever. But uh, okay. down, down into the mid-20s, don't worry about them. They're going to be fine. Okay. And what about a couple of... Uh, of uh Pecan trees up here. I'd like to plant a couple of them. What's a good brand to use? It'll grow well up here. Plant more than one variety. Um, The ones with the Indian names are going to be probably the most dependable. Uh, Mohawk is a good one. Uh, Cheyenne is a good one. Choctaw is a good one. Uh, Your commercial growers always plant at least half their orchards in a variety called Desirable which is also a very good pecan. It's a little bit weaker wooded. Some falls that get so heavily laden with pecans, it'll tend to break up in the wind. But uh, um, I, I guess the one of the Indian varieties you want to avoid is one called Wichita. That one's a little bit more susceptible to something called pecan scab fungus. But uh, Mohawk, Cheyenne, Cherokee, Desirable, those are all going to be excellent varieties for you. Um, and uh, like I say, I would... some. Some types of pecan trees produce the pollen first. Others produce the little nutlets first. So it's always best to have several varieties because they're wind-pollinated. You don't have to worry about bees to pollinate them. Uh, but okay. you want to have more than one variety to get good nuts at. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate all the information. It's always my pleasure, Rudy. I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and have, have a, a wonderful Saturday. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, let's need to get a break in here, and looks like I get to talk to you about my friends that make Nature's Creations products. And once again, a great company that's bringing you a lot of different good organic products. Make a lot of good soil mixes. They make a good cactus soil. They make a garden soil. They make a potting soil. 
They also package good compost. They package a wonderful living mulch. Just a, a quality company. And <laughs> they're not 100% occasionally. I mean, I have to take a rock out of a bag or things like that. But compared to what you're going to find under a lot of brands, uh, you, you love nature's creation. They don't use Canadian peat moss. They don't use biosolids products. They base their products on natural leaf litter, forest floor products. Uh, they use some core in their products. But it's just a quality company producing quality products. They also package things like a very good horticultural cornmeal. They call it fungicide cornmeal. Actually has little garlic in it, which makes it even better. They make a wonderful organic fertilizer they call uh, premium lawn and turf food, or lawn and garden food, rather. Uh, they do package corn gluten meal. If you're going to use a pre-emergent, and there are pluses and minuses about pre-emergents, but if you're going to use one, be sure you use the organic one. And uh, Nature's Creation has one they call spreadable corn gluten meal. They come, you'll find their products in lots of good nurseries. I know Rainbow Gardens carries in both locations of the plant house. Millburgers, African Violets up in Bernie, King Feeds up at Canyon Lake. We certainly keep plenty of them at Shades of Green. Quality products from Nature's Creation. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. If you're hearing a lot of noise in the background, that's because we are live today down at the Pearl, getting ready for the 32nd annual herb market. People are getting set up down here. This may be one of the bigger ones. I'm seeing more booths, I think, than we usually see. And if you've not been to the herb market, <laughs> hadn't always been at the Pearl. We could tell stories about the old days back at Aggie Park but uh, and one big flood that came along one time. But it's going to be high and dry down here at the Pearl and lots of fun things. Lectures today on... I know Connie Shepard's going to be talking about a lot of different things, especially ginger and the different things to do with it. Um, Mary Dunford's going to be talking about growing gingers and going to start out with just uh, herbs in general. All these things are absolutely free of charge and uh, goes on. Let's see, the, the lectures start at about 10 o'clock. Officially, things kick off at about 9, but there are no gates. There's no emission. You can come wander through any time you like. And we'll be down here broadcasting the show up until 9 o'clock, of course, and love to have you stick your head in and say hello. Right now, have two open lines. Grab one of them if you like, 210-599-5555. John's up first, and it'll be Glenn. Good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. John Larson Good out at the uh, Laverne area in San Diego. Yes, sir. My yes, sir. Lucky you. Okay, well, <laughs> the yard took a feeling with its temperature and water restrictions. Uh, what is the best time to put down a compost? Spray? Uh, well, I I hesitate going into the winter to put it down, but should I wait till spring or go ahead? No, this is the absolute best time of year. It will serve as a natural pre-emergent. It will keep the roots of your grass healthy and expanding all winter long. If I had to pick, I think the single best month of the year or best two months of the year, it's probably going to be October, November, uh, followed probably by March or April if you do it in the spring. But uh, nothing at all wrong with doing it now. You don't want to just bury your grass, but uh, let me tell you, it'll get it through the winter in better shape. It'll keep the roots growing all winter, and you'll get a much better regrowth next spring if you put your compost on now. That's all I needed to know today. Thank you. 
And if you want to do the best thing you can possibly do, John, put some good organic fertilizer down first and put your compost on top of it. Organic fertilizers will not burn. The compost brings in the microbes that digest the fertilizer. And uh, that one-two punch is going to be the single most important you can do to try to help that yard recover after probably the, the worst summer I've ever seen for turf grass. Great suggestion. I'll do that. <laughs> You do it, sir, and I appreciate the call. Thank you. And uh, next in line is Glenn. Good morning, Glenn. <clears throat> yes, good morning. Hey, um, so I would like good direction on how to plant. I got 32, 30-gallon 30 uh, Monterey oaks that I'm going to plant. So I want to make sure, I guess my concern is to not, or to make sure the root ball doesn't, you know, root girdle, and then, you know, 10 years later I find out that the roots are all twisted. Right. And in a excuse me, in a bigger pot like that, you don't worry as much about girdling roots when you've got a, a pot that's, you know, 24 inches wide like that pot's going to be. But you're wise to be concerned. And the first thing I would do is, you know, look at the trunk. You should see the, the what we call the root flare where the trunk kind of broadens out, where the first major roots start coming out. That should be planted where it's right at the top of the ground or even a little bit higher. Uh, you would be wise to maybe take a hose or something like that and actually wash a little bit of the soil away. Be sure that you don't already have girdling roots forming because a lot of times that problem starts when that oak tree was in a much smaller container. Uh, now, as far as digging the hole, dig an angular hole, dig a square hole. You don't want a round hole for each of those trees. If you dig a round hole, the roots are just going to want to keep on going around and around and around in a circle rather than spreading out okay. and getting the tree really well established. So when the root hits a corner, then it takes off and starts into the surrounding soil, which will give you a much better established tree long term. When you take them out of the pot, if it is just an absolutely solid mass of roots, take a sheetrock knife, uh, whatever, and just cut down one side. Uh, that'll pretty much be sure that you don't have um, girdling roots to, that are going to be forming at this point. Like I say, it's good to kind of wash away right at the top of the root flare because sometimes you'll see roots that are already in and a root doesn't have to go all the way around the girdle a root that's just pressing up tightly against the trunk laterally uh, that can stunt the tree long term as well so um, those are a few hints the other thing is uh, to be sure the tree is watered very thoroughly before you plant it. Now, don't water it over on the driveway and then have a, you know, 300-pound tree you have to you have to drag over to the hole. But get that tree over next to the hole that's going to be planted into, and then give it a good thorough watering. Add a little bit of garret juice. Add a little bit of has to grow. Maybe a little bit of super thrive. Uh, gently lower it into the ground, and then don't don't try to put the best soil in the world around it. Put the soil that came out of the hole back in again if you make the soil too good right there in the hole the tree doesn't have any incentive to you know start spreading its roots out into the surrounding soil so uh, don't worry about a lot of soil preparation basically dig that square angular hole 
If in doubt, plant the tree a little bit higher than letting it get too low. Backfill with just good native soil on top of it, a little bit of fertilizer, a little bit of uh, good living mulch, and uh, those oaks should get off to a tremendous start. All right, thank you. Um, what about, okay, you, you, yeah, Super Thrive Gary Juice has to grow. Um, yeah. Uh, give me a little hint on that, What, how to do that the best. Well, has to grow and uh, Super Thrive Garrett Juice are all liquids. Um, you're never going to overdo it. In the case of your has to grow and the Garrett Juice, you're probably going to put an ounce, maybe two ounces to a gallon of water, maybe a cap full of Super Thrive. A mixture of all three of those things are going to probably make the best uh, root stimulator you can ever find. Don't go out and buy anything that says root stimulator. It's basically just going to be a chemical fertilizer with a very tiny amount of uh, <clears throat> a rooting hormone added, which you really don't need. Uh, Hash grows good fertilizer. Garrett Juice works as a fertilizer and has a lot of life in it. Super Thrive is, I, who knows what all's in there. It smells like B vitamins, uh, but that combination just really gets roots off to a good start. All righty. Well, thank you. Very good. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got something in my throat this morning. Um, one other thing about young trees, you're going to have sprouts come out up and down the trunk of a healthy tree, don't worry about that. When you when you get these 30-gallon trees, they're probably going to have a bare trunk. Uh, they grow them so close together in the nurseries that produce these things that uh, they have very little lateral growth. But everywhere you have a little side limb coming off, everywhere you have foliage coming off up and down the trunk, it's like a little sugar factory pumping nutrients back into the trunk. And that tree trunk will grow much more quickly uh, we used to call it trashy trunk, but if you have some vegetation up and down the trunk when the tree is young, your trunk will get much larger, much more quickly, much stronger. And I go through every winter and cut all those little side shoots back to about six inches. You don't want to let them make major limbs, but you'd love to have that foliage up and down the trunk. Then when that trunk gets up to be five or six inches in diameter, then you cut those little lateral shoots all the way off. Okay. And that's sort of tree planting 101. If you want to go to Howard Garrett's website, which is dirtdoctor.com, you can actually see a lot of this illustrated. I think he's even got a video up there on how to properly plant a tree. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Very good. What else can I help you with, Glenn? That's it, I think. Well, get out and enjoy your day and uh, get those trees in the ground as soon as you can. Uh, looks like I get to talk to you for a moment about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. I know that doesn't have that much to do with gardening, but it certainly has to do with peace of mind. And the less you've got on your mind, the happier your life's going to be. A lot of folks, folks spend a lot of time worrying about their roofs. And uh, who wouldn't? You listen to most of these roofing companies, they're going to tell you how the heat damaged your roof and then how the cold damaged your roof and then how those hailstones beat up your roof and, oh, maybe you better let us put a new roof on. If you put on a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, it will truly be the last roof you will ever put on your home. They give you the best warranty in the industry, and I can tell you why they do it, because they know they're never going to have to come out and fix anything. They put the roof on my home, I guess 20 years ago, 
complicated too. I've got a balcony around three sides upstairs and three chimneys. I've not called them for one single problem in all those years. They put the roof on our Shades of Green Nursery many years ago. It has stood up to baseball size hail. You practically have to have a magnifying glass to even find a dimple in that roof. And the roofs are so energy efficient, they're going to save you money on your energy bills every month. Plus they're good looking. You have your choice of colors. They actually have roofs that don't even look like standing seam metal. Look like ceramic tile or shake shingles. It's just simply the best roof out there. And they do new construction as well as roof replacements. Don't wait. If you're in the market for a new roof or if you're in new construction building a new home, tell the builder you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on your home and you'll have the last roof you'll ever have on your home. Give them a call to learn more. 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, got a couple of lines open. If you want to grab one, you know the number, 210-599-5555. Josie's going to be up first. Let me tell you, first of all, though, I want to tell you about a couple of upcoming events. If you're looking for fun things to put on your calendar, well, of course, today we're doing the herb market down here at the Pearl, the 32nd annual herb market. Uh, coming up in a couple of weeks on November the 4th, uh, Green Spaces Alliance is doing their Big Nature Fest down at uh, Mission County Park. Uh, starts, I believe, at 9, goes till 1. Lots of different activities down there. Family fun. Lots of uh, different informational things happening. I think they have a run that morning. But go to uh, Green Space Alliance, or actually gsalliance.com. Uh, dot org. Uh, just just Google Green Space Alliance, and you'll see all about Nature Fest, which comes up uh, uh, on the uh, on the fourth of November. Then the following Saturday, my friends with the Commemorative Air Force have their big hangar dance. If you're an old plane buff or an aviation buff, <laughs> and you'd like to have a a fun dinner dance right up among the. <clears throat> The Vintage Aircraft, go to hangardance.org. It's a great event they do once a year up at, uh, in San Marcos, and uh, just just always fun things going on. I believe there's a big African violet sale coming up next weekend, too. Uh, that's going to be the Texas State African Violet Show and Sale. going to be held up at the end of the hills up in Kerrville. And that's going to be Friday, next uh, Friday the 27th, and uh, then Saturday the 28th. So anyway, there's your garden calendar of just a few fun upcoming events. Right now, let's get right back to the phone line, and Josie is up first. Good morning, Josie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Um, I've got... I've got three questions if you've got time. I think the first one's boring, so don't spend too long on that one. Um, okay. Uh, let's see, I'm in San Marcos, and I want to put down some perennial rye. Uh, okay. Shopping here, I'm kind of stuck with big box home improvement doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one that I've found. It's a green view brand uh do you know anything about it uh i don't yeah i don't know that brand i'll tell you if you want to avoid the box stores uh call douglas king company here in san antonio douglas king seed they will ship it to your door and uh, i think they've for for a variety you can count on uh 
I don't know if Dean has Greyhound this year. That's one that they frequently have. But uh, you're going to find that their prices are going to be, oh, as good as a box stores for good quality. If you visit any of the local nurseries up there, my favorite happens to be one that's called Top Flight, T-O-P-F-L-I-T-E. But if I was stuck with nothing but box stores to shop at, I'd call Douglas King. And uh, like I say, they'll... They'll ship, even if it's just a relatively small amount, they'll happily ship it to your front door. Plan on putting down, if you're on bare soil, putting down about a pound per 50 square feet. If you're overseeding existing turf, probably a pound per 100 square feet. Okay, thank you. Top flight or greyhound? Yeah. Okay. All right. That wasn't too okay. boring. That That's a great question. Well, <laughs> on to number two. Well, okay. Um <laughs> Well, I finally got hold of a uh, a lacy oak, and uh-huh. it's in a three-gallon pot. Uh, the trunk is maybe half an inch diameter, and it's about seven feet tall. Uh, okay. Do you have any any special planting instructions? Does it need to be staked? I am going to find a place where it gets a little shade. Well, Lacey's Oak, uh, long-term, is a good full-sun tree. Now, if it's been grown in the shade, you may want to let it get used to the sun gradually. But if you want it to make a good, strong tree, don't don't put it in too much shade. Um, it, is a, it is a good tree. I'm not one for staking. Uh, if, it, if you feel like it needs a little bit of support... Um, you can you can guy it up, you know, use a couple of very loose ties so that the trunk can still move back and forth, but don't just took a, a stake in the ground and tie it up against it. That'll keep it from developing a strong trunk. And you probably heard me talking a moment ago to a fellow planting a couple of bigger trees, and that Lacey's oak may put out some little growth up and down the trunk. Let it do that because the more leaves are actually growing up and along that trunk, the faster and stronger that trunk will become. By the time it gets up to be a, a you know five six inch trunk, at that point you'll want to cut the limbs all the way off. But until then, just every winter, go through and cut them back to about six or eight inches long. But uh, let it put out that little growth up and down the trunk as much as you like. Um, Lacey's oak likes good deep soil in San Marcos. It's probably not an issue to you, but uh, on my ranch, I've got gosh, I've got Lacey's oaks that are 20 inches in diameter, but they're all down, you know, down low where I've got deeper soil. As you move up the side of the hills, <laughs> they don't they don't go very far up the hillside because they don't like that that thin or soil that the red oaks and the live oaks will take. So just be sure you've got good deep soil that drains well. Um, it should be a tree that'll live for a couple of hundred years, and uh, just as far as I can tell, pretty much a hundred percent trouble-free tree. Yeah, they're beautiful too. I'm tickled to find oh, yeah. one. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, they're named for an old German naturalist named Lacey. People think they're going to have unusual foliage or something, but Lacey oh. doesn't refer doesn't refer to the foliage. It refers to the guy that named them. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. I think in the spring they put out this beautiful the new growth has uh beautiful rosy tones oh yeah yeah almost a gray green pinkish growth yeah you you've got a wonderful tree collect some acorns and uh sprout them and share them with your friends oh okay okay 
Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was excited to hear you talking about uh, Mexican bahania or Mexican orchid tree. Yeah. Is that right? Um, yeah. Bahania congesta. Love. You would love. Oh, I'd love. I'd love to have one. I think. Uh, they might survive the deer. I think. Probably the cold is more of an issue. The only one that I'm going to recommend to you is the white one, uh, and and Mexican orchid tree is a, a common name of it. There is a purple flowered form, and then there's sort of a rosy flowered form. But those two, you're just a little bit far north. But I've seen the the white flowered one in San Marcos. You know, eight or ten feet tall. It's going to grow much more as a big bush than as a tree, uh, but you should yeah. be very successful with it, and they are a beautiful plant. Aren't they evergreen and, you know, real dense? Um, yes, they I should the, be. The pictures I've seen, it's, it's, it's just a big, rounded shrub with big flowers. <laughs> And and the most common ones are white. Rarely you may see one that's a light pink color, but uh, it should be a, a really good tree for you. If you can, plant it on the south side of the building just in case we get a really cold winter. But uh, like I say, one of the one of the prettiest ones I ever saw was growing in San Marcos, so I think it'll be a, a good, they, they call it a tree, but as you've so accurately described, it's going to grow as a big bush and uh, uh, trouble-free. Maybe. maybe. Maybe seven feet tall, maybe something like that. That at a maximum, maximum six uh-huh. to eight feet, and about that, yeah. oh, probably four to five feet wide. Okay, okay. Well, I don't know if I'm going to ever be able to find one. You know, that's the other thing. But uh, well, I've, keep looking around. Uh, you've got a uh, good grower up in uh, Austin called Native Texas or Natives of Texas, something like that. Um, you might check with them. They're generally they produce uh, good quality trees, and uh, if they won't sell to you, just ask them to refer you to one of the retailers that carries their trees. Oh, okay, thanks. And one of my good friends down here that's uh, at the herb market's giving me a thumbs up. He loves natives of Texas too. Oh, good nursery. All right. Well, I lived in in Austin for decades, and. didn't know about them, maybe because they're a they're a wholesaler. Maybe. Yeah, they're more of a wholesaler. But I'm sure if they won't wouldn't sell to you, then they uh, um, they can certainly refer you to one of the nurseries that carries their products. Okay, righty. Well, thank you so much. I sure enjoy your show. I sure appreciate your call this morning, Josie. Get out and have a great weekend. And uh, Greg, let's go ahead and talk to Kathy before we get up to break time. Good morning, Kathy. Yes, good morning. I know you're pushing of a clock again. I'm amazed to get through. I'll try to keep it short and sweet. It pertains to trimming back some really large bushes that I've allowed to get out of hand. I was so thrilled that they grew and grew and grew, and now I realize I should have been trimming. Such a, a problem to have. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, ligustrum. Uh, they're thin on the bottom, but lots of bushy. They're about 10 feet high. And um, they've been struggling through the summer. I've watered and fed, but still, I need them fuller on the bottom. When do I whack them off? Spring? 
It sounds like probably Japanese ligustrum if they're 10 feet. Purple berries um, in the fall. No, no purple. They're green throughout the year. They put out those little tiny, I think it's a tiny little, ber- not even a berry, tiny flower. Okay. Sometimes I that- haven't seen those in a long time. Okay, that's that's probably what they call the waxleaf ligustrum. Um, the that reason that, yeah, the reason that the bottom is thin is because it's not getting as much light as the top. So you, the only way you're really going to thicken them up is to cut at least some of the trunks pretty far back to get them to branch out. But if they're really thick on top, they're never going to be as thick as you want them to be down at the base. But it's just a matter of light. If you're trying to create a dense hedge, sometimes the best thing you can do is just plant a second tier of shrubs that stay a little bit lower in front of it. Might be compact nandina, might be one of the viburnums, might be, you know, there are a number of different things, even green pittosporum. Uh, the best so time of year to cut them back. A week ago. Okay, keep, yes. I'm sorry. Keep uh, talking. <laughs> best time of year, probably mid to late February, is going to be the best time to prune. But just, just understand that cutting them back doesn't guarantee that the lower part's going to get thinner because the top's just going to get thick again, and you're going to have the same problem all over again. But it's just lack of light. They do have green shoots coming out of the bottom and along the mm-hmm. bottom trunks. The lower trunks yeah. are trying to put out that. Under those three, Ligustrum is where I had called before about Akuba because, again, uh-huh. they were shaded and they did really, really well. Well, not so well, but that's a whole other story. The Akuba will either come back in the spring or they're out of there, and I'll put in new ones because it is a shade. Uh, yeah. So that was what was light layering under the Ligustrum, and they seemed to get along really well. Yeah. But I yeah. didn't know when to trim them back. Well, early spring, uh, typically any time in February on into early March, you want to try to prune them just before the new growth begins. Okay. Next question, similar. Uh, The Loripetalum, that is also 10 feet high, and I'd kind of like to keep it a little more thicker in the center and lower. You can prune it, but let it bloom in the spring because it blooms on wood that grew in the fall. So enjoy your pretty flowers, whichever variety you have. And as soon as the flowers start to fade, that'll be the time to prune your laurel petalum. Okay, that'll work. Uh, I did. I don't mind giving up a year of the flowers if I can do some of the trimming now. Well, no, you never prune this time of year because that will stimulate growth that probably wouldn't have time to harden off. You can prune them as early as mid-February, but that's about the time they're going to come into bloom. You're only going to be waiting till April or so um, to have all the flowers enjoyed. And it's it's worth it because the flowers can be absolutely gorgeous, and you're not really going to be setting back your, your new growth. And right now I am trying to pile on all sorts of food because I feed them out of a big, big five-gallon bucket. So I make a hollow (laughs) and then put everything in the five buckets. And is there such a thing as too much of a good thing? The Um, super-fried carrots have to grow everything. 
you're 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 only going to hurt your bank account. You're not going to hurt your plants. But okay. uh, you know, it's the the law of diminishing return sets in. If you're giving them a good dose of that every three or four weeks, you're not going to do that much more trying to do it once a week. Now, you know, a rooted cuttings or something like that. Yeah, you feed them almost constantly in a wholesale growing situation where you're trying to force the most growth possible. Uh, they feed them dilutely all the time but for those of us uh, just trying to maintain a beautiful yard now nah, every three weeks is plenty often three weeks okay then i have been falling behind on that okay Do them once well a let month? me say three three to six weeks yeah once a month is fine but uh you're okay. you're not going to do that much better if you were trying to you know do it once a week or something like that that's that's not too much of a good thing, but it's a lot more than you need to do. I I just I'm trying to put them to bed for the winter. A lot of good <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. Thank you again, Bob. Very much. Always a pleasure, Kathy. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, in a moment, we'll next up will be Carol. But right now, I get to talk to you about Sam Sitterly and Green Grow Organics. Always love talking about Sam, and I love his new program that he's got going. You know, these chemical pushers, the poison pushers. They're really out there promoting, hey, let us sign you up. We'll come by every quarter and do this, that, and the other, which means putting out poison and feeding unnecessarily with the wrong stuff. Well, Sam has an answer to that. He will set up a program for you where he comes out on a quarterly basis, but there's no contract to sign. There's no pressure, and it's all organic, 100%. Uh, he'll be feeding uh, compost tea and things on a quarterly basis, giving them supplemental uh, minerals in at least once a year, nematodes as often as necessary to keep problems under control. And like I say, there's no contract, no obligation, no anything. So if you would like to just not have to worry about it, Tell Sam you want to get on his quarterly program. It doesn't mean you can't call him for, you know, just consultation, and that's what a lot of people still do. He's been doing this for well over 30 years now, always doing things organically, and the man and his crews, they know what they're doing. They truly understand all the problems that can affect our landscapes here in Texas, and uh, and they, like I say, they always do it right. They always do it organically. So if you'd like to set up a quarterly program, Sam would love to talk to you about it. If you just need to call him for occasional consultation you do whatever works best for you sam sitterly has been at it a long time his company is green grow organics check out their website if you want to give them a call number's easy to remember 599-5565 sam sitterly and green grow organics south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Carol's up first, and it'll be Madeline. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. How are you, sir? Off to a good start and having fun down here at the herb market. That sounds wonderful. Is it too early to plant rice seed? I know we've got rain and cool weather supposedly coming. Is it too early? Uh, it would to put be it down? no, it is not too early to put it down and uh I can't think of a better situation. <laughs> I'd I'd put out a little organic fertilizer this weekend. I get your perennial rice seed out and hope the weathermen get it right for once because they're saying we have our best chance in several weeks. Well that and the seventy and sixty degree days sound great. <laughs> 
Yeah, and the occasional hot day doesn't bother these new perennial rise. Uh, they, with water, they'll last all the way into early summer. So uh, this occasional hot day is not going to set them back. Go ahead and get it planted as soon as you can. Okay, that's wonderful. Okay, my next question is about uh, water on tree trunks. We've been doing that to our great big oaks that are not on an irrigation system. Uh-huh. And we've been doing that since I very first heard you say to do that to help through the drought. My concern is I'm in Fair Oaks and I am seeing that silly white buildup on the tree trunks. It's not going to hurt. Calcium. Yeah, and it's not going to hurt anything. But I have to tell you, once the live oak forms that woody bark or any tree forms that woody bark, it's not really going to do that much good to spray the trunks. Now, if you're spraying up higher where you see the smooth bark or if you have younger trees where the bark is still smooth, that spraying up and down the trunks is one of the best things you can do for them. But once they develop that woody bark, um, you're, you're not really accomplishing a whole lot. So if you're, water, if you're watering that kind of tree, you should be spraying high enough up in the tree because the smoother bark is the only place it's really going to absorb. That's good. Okay, so I don't need to worry about it and quit spraying the bottom trunk, just spray the top. Yeah, smooth bark is where it's going to absorb and do the best for the tree. All right. That answers everything I need. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You you do the same. Appreciate the call. Madeline's up next. Good morning, Madeline. Good morning, Bob. Bob Good morning. I'm going to have to bring my ficus plant in with the one uh-huh. with the, big, the fiddle leaves. Yeah. And it's a three-trunk plant. I've never repotted it since I bought it. It's about five feet tall. Uh-huh. It's sitting in, a, in another pot. And I know it's got all kinds of roots in that pot, it's the, in that second pot. When okay. I cut those roots off and replant it, are all my leaves going to drop? They shouldn't. I would cut as few roots as possible. Is it still in its plastic nursery container? Yes. As far as possible, take a heavy-duty pair of scissors, kitchen shears, florist shears. Try cutting the pot away rather than just cutting every little root that comes out the bottom of the pot. Um, that, that plastic pot isn't really worth anything. And with a heavy-duty pair of shears, might even be pruning shears uh, I've used to do that before, try cutting that pot away as much as you can rather than just cutting all the roots off and trying to pull it out of the pot. Okay, and then just put some dirt in my new pot and just plop all those, whatever is left, into that other pot. And into that pot and, and, you know, filling around the sides only. Don't bury the trunks any deeper. And um, be sure you use a little Garrett juice, maybe a little bit of Super Thrive, uh, to because you'll shock the roots a little bit when you prune them at all. And uh, we want to upset that tree as little as possible. It'll probably drop a few leaves, maybe 10, 20% of the leaves, but it certainly should not drop all of them. And we're just talking about watering down the trunk and things like that on outdoor trees. Uh, just taking a mist bottle, or if you've got one of these new good quasar sprayers or something, just spray up and down the trunk uh, for a few weeks after you do that, and that'll lessen the shock. Okay. Well, I'll have my fingers crossed, but I'm not expecting too much. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I think you'll do just just fine, Madeline. I think you and the tree are both going to do well. So 
get out and have a great weekend. Let me get Richard in here real quickly next. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, Bob. I'll try morning, to make sir. it quick. Um, I listen to you all the time, so I know uh, my question's about controlling aphids, um, and I, uh-huh. I think the key is to prevent them from happening because I, I can never seem to get rid of them with neem oil. If I were right. to spray or put mix a you know bottle of seaweed uh, and molasses, could I refrigerate that and just apply that really quickly? Because I feel like I don't have I have more ability than ambition. Ambition. Uh, mm-hmm. so I need something convenient to maybe just quickly go out to the garden and spray. Would it last well, in the fridge if I kept it there? Your concentrate will last. Um, once you've diluted it with water, you've got so much mineral material in our South Texas water that it will start working against it. What I would recommend you do is mix up your concentrate so you're ready to go, and then all you have to do is put a little bit of it in, you know, mix with water in the sprayer whenever you're ready to spray. It'll keep for a few days, but your concentrate, I mean, we used to package that, and it'd keep for years as a concentrate. But uh, if you want to try storing it already diluted, Buy some distilled water to do it. That way, it's gonna. It's, okay. You're not gonna have as much of chemical reaction set up in the in your solution. Okay, but that'll be the best way to prevent the aphids, right? Because once they take well, over, I just feel like you can't get the plants back sometimes. Uh, if yeah, if you want to get rid of them, spray with a little dilute orange oil. That'll knock them down. But or aphids are born pregnant. You start out with a couple of aphids, and you've got a couple of thousand yes. pretty soon. They are a sign of stress. So anything that reduces the stress will reduce the aphids and your uh, your garret juice, your seaweed, uh, your molasses. All those things will very definitely reduce stress, and you'll have less of an aphid problem. But I can't promise you it'll prevent them 100%. But the less stressed your plants are, the fewer aphids you're ever going to see. Okay, and citrus oil instead of neem oil, all right? If I do, do uh, yeah, I orange oil. I I think that will do better. If you get the neem, try to get cold pressed neem. It lasts much longer and it's much much more effective. We're just learning more about that, and I'll save that discussion for another time because I'm just seconds away from news. After news, we'll have Howard Garrett. After that, we'll have time for some more phone calls. You're listening to Gardening right here on KTSA Radio in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Oh, but if you've been listening for very long, you know don't dial right this second. (laughs) We're about to have our our weekly visit with the Dirt Doctor. We'll always save some time toward the end of the show for a few more phone calls. And then, of course, we do this all over again tomorrow morning from 8 till 11, followed by Your Pet's Health with Dr. Dan Kirby. So you'll have plenty more chance to ask those questions. Right now, it's my great pleasure to say good morning, Howard Garrett. Good morning, stranger. We've both been running around too much, it seems. (laughs) Well, and I have to admit, this trip was pure pleasure. I uh, made it through a, through another year, another birthday last week, so we just decided to uh, run down to south, far south Texas. And, of course, that's always fun because people down there can put so many things outside that we're kind of risking it, and you're doing the same up in Dallas. But, golly, the zamias you see down there, such a selection of palms and uh One thing that that I always forget about what a neat plant it is, uh, we saw some of the prettiest hedges of Ixora that I've ever seen down there just in full bloom. And uh, 
I don't know. It's always fun to, to go somewhere different. And, uh, the, the call of the ocean, just have to go do it about once a year or so. So it was a wonderful week. Uh, Harry, you've had some pretty good travels as well. Yeah, and we're about to uh, go again, so um, I almost missed you again today, but it'd be good to catch up on stuff. Beautiful weather here, I assume it is down there, and great time. October always the best month of the year, especially for, you know, that cool season gardening. It is absolutely wonderful. We are still desperately in need of rain, and uh, we're we're seeing, I think, more and more of that limb drop syndrome, which... I think we both agree probably has something to do, but uh, have some friends that very narrowly averted a tragedy with a huge limb coming down out of a big oak tree that there'd been quite a gathering of people underneath just a show, short time before. So, and I don't know any way. I don't. You know, there there are a lot of things that an arborist can tell you about. You know, we talk about the narrow angled crotches and things like that, but. This this limb drop syndrome, as far as I can see, just almost seems to be random. I don't know that there's any predicting whether a tree's likely to have that happen. I think it is uh, pretty random. I've seen it mostly on uh, trees where after the limb fell, you do, you could see a little rot or a little bit of deterioration in the in the joint there. But on the other hand, I've seen some perfectly healthy limbs come down so it's uh, I think random would be the best way to put it I think keeping the the plants as healthy as you possibly can and and doing some uh, a little if you can a little bit of extra watering uh, Mm -hmm. is the way to prevent it that's about all you can do yeah it's uh and and this is just uh have you had rains recently we had one good rain a couple of weeks ago that's really the first rain we've had to speak of in several months they're giving us a fair chance this next week uh to get a little bit more but uh we're still seeing you know big trees just fold up and die and some trees that surprise me some red oaks really seem to be in trouble and uh um, cedar elms and all are thinning out. They're dropping lots of leaves, but I can't say that I've really seen any that I've worried about their survival. But uh, this this has been this has been the toughest summer I remember on established plants. Well, even native cedars, the eastern red cedars, there's a bunch of them that have uh, yeah. completely <laughs> died. I don't think they're going to come back uh, at all. If we have another rough winter, which apparently the uh, Farmer's Almanac uh, is recommended is predicting and i haven't checked on that myself but i had a couple of people bring it up if we have the fourth really tough winter in a row after this uh, stress this damage from this past summer we may see some more things uh, get in trouble yeah i well, I I still think staying organic is going to be one of the best things we can do, and and watering where we can. It's it you just can't replace rainfall on a on a big tree, but you know it's just following the organic method, and uh, I think you know sick tree treatment preventatively is going to be a a good thing for trees, even if they're not showing stress. It's one of my favorite sayings: is a tree doesn't have to be sick to benefit from the sick tree treatment. So. Always a good thing to do. No, I agree. We're recommending it across the board. In fact, I wrote a column about taking advantage of uh, this nice weather to maybe even re-expose uh, some of the 
bases of the trees on trees you've even uh, done before. I've, I've done that myself because, especially if you have an area where water is washing across uh, the mm-hmm. property, that depression that you're going to have for a while, if a tree was too deep in the ground, it's going to tend to fill back in with leaves and debris and everything. And it's easy to do because at this point it'll be loose enough to where you can, in yeah. most cases, just blow it out with a, a blower. Yeah. And, uh, and if, it's worth the effort. Well, and if you end up having to dig it out, it'll be some of the best soil around you'll have because it's good alluvial soil that's washed in there. And if you got a low spot in the yard or if you're building a raised bed or something like that, it sure there are plenty of things you can do with it other than leaving it piled up around the trunk. You know, I heard you uh, talking about oxblood lilies. I've got a, a neighbor that uh, made a deal. We kind of traded art, and she put into the deal on her side to get a stand of my uh, oxblood lilies that I have. Mine are doing a funny thing. They bloomed really well, and then uh-huh. it, it got hot, and they crashed and burned, and then they bloomed a second time, at least some of them did and had even prettier uh, display than the first time around. Uh, mine are mostly in in full shade and blooming pretty well. They're not spreading and getting thicker mm-hmm. and thicker, but they do bloom pretty well every year. But I'm going to move some of them uh, to some more sunny places myself when I dig some up for uh, for her, and it'll be a good comparison uh, seeing what which ones do the best. It it will be, and that's that. Even though they only bloom for a short time, they are so showy, and they are yeah, so really trouble free. I mean, it's uh, and and plus, it's just an interesting study of <laughs> of of what a difference rainwater can make, and how the plants really do know the difference. One thing I'm finding that we have to be careful in telling people is that there is a, and it may even be the. A, a subspecies or something like that, but there are some rain lilies that uh, are coming out of Central America, and they bloom and they look pretty much like the you know what you and I call oxblood lilies or some people call them schoolhouse lilies, but these ones from the the Central America they don't tend to make the big clump of bulbs like what I just call them the Texas oxbloods, because, boy, you take care of them. About every three or four years, you can dig them up, and you'll have six or eight bulbs where you just started with one, and these others don't tend to do that. So people that are looking to get a real good stand of them, I think it's important that they, you know, either get them from a friend or be sure that they're getting the so-called Texas oxblood lilies, because apparently there is a difference. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. And as far as the ideal time to move them, what are you mostly telling people to move them I or tell, divide them and spread them out? I tell people make a note of where they are and when that foliage dies back in the hot summer. That's when I think it's that's when I think is the best time to do it because you know they always they tend to come up and they'll have a little foliage come up but it's this uh, and right now these fall rains are when at least when ours are really coming into bloom but then they're going to follow that up with you know all their foliage growth and uh, once again the other thing I always caution people about is they they form that kind of long neck up above the bulb and you want to be really careful not to break that so. I tell people just, you know, right. mark where they are, and then when that foliage dies back in the, 
you know, hot, dry summer, you can dig them and store them for a while if you need to or move them any time. That, that's my favorite time to do it. I agree with that. One thing I've experienced here just out of uh, uh, construction, because of construction out at the curb, we've had uh, two or three times where utility people have come in and gone through the area where I've got the bulbs and they've gotten disturbed at different times of the year. And I think mm-hmm. that they're so durable that you could probably move them just about any time because I haven't seen any of mine be killed by oh, yeah. being disturbed, you know, during different different times of the year. Oh, I, and I think you're right about that. I, I just I do encourage people to be very cautious, though, because that, that's the only time that I've ever really seen a problem is if that neck gets snapped off. Uh, sometimes they don't they don't sprout back out. Sometimes they'll they'll go down when you do that. But if you do it carefully, I don't think there's a bad time. There's definitely a there's definitely a best time, but there's not yep. necessarily yep. a bad time. Kind of like uh, kind of like garlic. Uh, learned uh, accidentally there too that you can basically plant the garlic any time of the year. But this month is the best. So if you haven't planted yet, it'd be a good time to get some going. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, a totally different subject, but uh, I've had two or three people, other nurserymen, uh, ask me when when is the bug book going to be back in print? Is Howard going to reprint that? Is you're you going to update it? Uh, um, I we we tried to reorder and found out that the the publisher is totally out of the books now, and that's always one of the things that's most in demand. So, uh, do you have do you have plans to reprint or get it back into into publication? Well, you're telling me something I didn't know. I didn't know it was completely out of print. I knew that the publishers, um, you don't want to get me started talking about the negatives <laughs> about working with publishers. But, uh, Doug told me that uh, Plants for Texas, they, weren't, they decided not to reprint, so it wouldn't surprise me a bit if they had decided not to reprint that one if that's the case we'll just have to figure out some other way to do it because it needs to uh, stay around uh taking it over and uh doing it uh privately may may have to be done yeah well it it is a book that i've written is completely finished and that's another you know sad story too we can't get the people that were uh, had agreed to finance it to pull the trigger and get it it going, and it's got a lot of information about insects and diseases in it too, uh, approaching it from a, a different standpoint. So, I'll look into the Texas Bug Book, and we'll try to get the other uh, other one back off uh, dead center too. I appreciate you bringing that up. I did not know that they had uh, totally run out. Well, that's just the the person who orders our books uh, had told me that that's what they they had told us. But the other thing I guess we need to do, and I'll certainly do it down here, and any nurseries that you have contact with, encourage them to call the publisher and let them know that there is a market for it because they're out to make money like half the, you know, I'm, Hate to hate to sound cynical, but I'm more and more convinced that most of the world runs on greed, and we just have to let these guys know that there is a demand for that. And if they will keep it on the shelves, then uh, then it will keep putting money back into their pockets. But uh, that that just you know the 
the vegetable book that you and Malcolm did together, the bug book that y'all did together, as well as the big book, which we still produce or promote and sell all the time. But uh, the Texas bug book is just, I think, just, you know, one of the one of the books that everyone should have a copy on their bookshelf. And it's one of my favorite gifts to give. So hopefully maybe either they'll find some more or they'll they'll do some reprinting because it sure is a good book. Well, I'll tell you one thing that may be going on, uh, and the bug book Breen mentioned in it is good because it it has the most important insects covered in it too. So mm-hmm. it you know it covers insects and diseases uh, uh, well, not not as well as the bug book. But I'll tell you something that's kind of going on. The old dirt doctor here may be <laughs> the first person to experience canceling you know the uh, the landscape industry and the universities have been trying to squash me since the day I started mm-hmm. and they may be uh, starting to have some um, some luck that may be part of what's going on here I hadn't even thought of that I've been kind of naive about that but uh, you know my column's not in Dallas Morning News anymore and that now the books are just mysteriously <laughs> Uh, kind of slipping away. Uh, there are some people out there that don't like what you and I have to say. There's no question about it. Uh, that's an interesting thought. That's and that's a scary thought. I, I, <laughs> it's uh, and something related to that that um, I found disturbing is um, somebody who. And I don't know if it was here in San Antonio, if it was one of the neighboring communities that uh, was thinking about joining the Master Gardener program, mm-hmm. told me that they have to sign a pledge that they will support what the Extension Service supports and uh, that they will not talk about certain things. I've asked them, you know, to secretively told them that I would love to see that, but uh, that that just... Uh, that disturbs me no end to uh, i mean isn't that what our country was founded on was freedom of speech and ideas and uh anyway i found that very upsetting by the same token i find that our ratings get better and better our listenership gets better and better and uh my advertisers are for the most part extremely pleased with the results we produce for them and uh well i think that's so, one of our problems is that we are making some some headway you know for a long for a long time we were kind of talking to each other and a very small percentage of the people out there and now the uh, percentage of people that are looking into what we're talking about you've got major uh podcast guys and talk show guys that have bigger audiences than you and me that are now talking about the really slamming uh gmo and Roundup and and pesticides and stuff, and it's really kind of it's really kind of catching on. You know, you got guys like Joe Rogan, and and mm-hmm. then you know he's the he's the top of all. He's got a bigger audience than anybody on earth. And then below yep. him, you got a whole bunch of other people that are kind of becoming getting into that independent uh, journalism that are starting to talk about the same things. You know, and so I I think we may be looking at more of a an obstacle on these um, so many things that we published than we realized well i and i think that you know from what you're telling me we may need to look around for a little bit of outside support to help make these things happen but 
And and I think people are becoming more and more aware. I know our, our vet friend, Dr. Kirby, you know, very directly uh, can tie cancer in animals to the use of pesticides oh, yeah. in sure. yards and things like that. And uh, I think, and I know I'm, I'm, I stand up here and raise my hand. I, I love my pets more than I, <laughs> I like a lot of the people in this world. And uh, people feeling like that they've shortened their pets' lives by the use of some of these things that uh, certain universities and certain governmental agencies seem to think are the best thing in the world uh, really gets yeah, their they're attention. Recommending them, they're still recommending them highly. In fact, it's maybe even bubbling up stronger. I've got yeah. a, before we go today, I've got another uh, dog story for you, and this is a pretty cute one. I've, Good. I've got new uh, eyes. I've got just had cataract uh, surgery, and to do the second eye, Judy and I were in, uh, you have to have a ride, so Judy was with me, and we were sitting in the lobby uh, re- waiting to uh, go in and have the second eye done, and there was a fellow sitting across from me with a big old beautiful standard poodle, gray, uh-huh. real fluffy standard, and she was, well, I, found, I heard the guy say it was a girl, so she was looking at me, and then she looked away, she kept looking at me and kept looking at me, and all of a sudden, she stood up and walked across to me and climbed up in my lap and kissed me right in the mouth. <laughs> and I, I looked over at the uh, owner and uh, he, I said, is it okay? Because, you know, a lot of them don't want you to pet service dogs. And, yeah, uh, yeah. He said, oh, yeah, she's running, no problem. And so I petted her. And then she got down and she went and climbed up in Judy's lap and did the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy ones. Yeah. Well, you can imagine we spent a little, little time walking a few miles up and down the beach again. You know, on this past week, and talk about a place that you meet dogs <laughs> and happy dogs. It's, uh, yeah, they're just you know they're they're just our our companions, and I wouldn't trade my kitty cat either. But dogs are just something special, and it's it is interesting behind how dogs seem to be able to pick out dog people, and they. They somehow know where they're going to get a good response. So uh, you two are, you two are the perfect examples of uh, <laughs> of people that dogs would look, come to know and love. So uh, that that makes a great story. Hope you got your eyes all fixed up. And it'll just get better yeah, and better from here on out. I'm going to continue to wear reading glasses. I didn't get the fancy extra step you can go to try to fix both distance and reading because i don't mind wearing reading glasses but so far played golf the other day without glasses so we're moving in the right direction well i'm so glad to hear that and uh 
Yeah, it's, you know, these birthdays keep passing, and uh, I, I was telling Roberta, I can't think of many things that I feel limited by age-wise, but I tell you, the, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, time sure does seem to, to go by faster. I can't believe how, you know, how, how quickly the weeks and months go by, but my old buddy Alton Grimm used to tell me, he said, you know, if time seems to be going quickly, it, uh, it means you're happy, and I think there's something to be said for that, so it's a good thing. Well, anything else in particular you're telling people? I know we always talk about, uh, you know, garlic being a great time, but there's really never a bad time for that. Uh, Onions are the same thing. Uh, There's just an awful lot of things that can go into the gardens right now. And on the flower side of it, uh, we're seeing new varieties in petunias, new varieties in Johnny Jump Up, some of the things we typically plant in the fall. And... uh, I tell people, you know, there's just no excuse to have a drab landscape. <laughs> there are just so many pretty things that you can plant. And uh, stay organic, and you'll have the best chance of having things come through, even if we have a cold winter. I don't know what to think. Apparently, the Farmer's Almanac, and I haven't gotten a recent copy of it, but they're saying an unusually cold winter, but the meteorologists I talked to are saying that they still expect that the more typical El Nino pattern should kick in in which case we will be wetter and warmer than usual so i just you know tell people stay organic be prepared to protect what you have to and if something freezes just replace it yeah, just keep the floating row cover handy and if you haven't uh, grown bok choy or pak choy any of those kind of uh, plants i recommend it highly mine are looking prettier than anything in the garden right now and do you grow any do you grow any of the baby bok choy uh, mine, just regular kind. I just bought whatever was available in the stores. I didn't uh, start them from seed, but I'm I'm so impressed. I'm gonna probably get into it more. So that's a that's a good idea. Well, it's our friends that sadly don't have their Chinese restaurant anymore. I asked him why they <laughs> why why they decided to close, and she said because John don't want to die in kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> they just spent so many years at it. But they introduced us years ago to uh, what they call baby bok choy, where rather than just taking off the leaves like we tend to do with so many leafy greens, there you just harvest the whole the whole little plant. And it's just, uh, oh, but just delicious beyond belief. If you get a chance, and uh, I'm way behind on gardening. This has just been a super busy fall with uh, some different things we've had going on. But... Uh, Give baby bok choy a try, and uh, you'll, you'll harvest it a little bit differently, but it's the most tender, tasty, wonderful thing you can imagine. If you like regular bok choy, I think you're going to like it even better. Yeah, that sounds great. I guess you could start it from seed, too, so you could have a whole bunch of oh, And that's how I've always grown it. Yeah, just remember to thin it out. But uh, Well, I don't think I'm going to – I think we're about done with traveling for a while, so uh, – uh, let's just plan on doing it again next weekend and every weekend that we possibly can. And as always, I and all of South Texas, thanks you so much for spending a little bit of your Saturday morning with us. Well, I appreciate what you're doing and all your listeners uh, helping to convert the world. We're making some progress. And uh, like we were talking about, we might be, uh, the opposition might be foaming up a little bit. We all, we'll keep an eye <laughs> on that, and we'll talk again next week. 
Well, we'll look forward to it, Howard. Thanks again, and thanks again for the dog story. That's wonderful. Thank you, sir. Mr. Howard Garrett is the is the dirt doctor. Dirtdoctor.com is his website. You will find a tremendous amount of information uh, at dirtdoctor.com. And even though Howard's up in the Metroplex area, believe me, 99% of what you find on dirtdoctor.com is going to be applicable here. Some of the plants, you know, they grow a few things a little differently. They they can't grow as many tropical things as we can. But all the organic uh, products, all the organic advice, general culture information just as good as uh as it here as it is there so i always encourage you to check out dirtdoctor.com and uh we'll be you know lots of his books are still out there we can do a little more research on some of the ones like the texas bug book which i dearly love um, see if we can't get it back in print and at least back available before too terribly long looks like the phone lines are full so don't uh don't call right this minute. Uh, Greg, I've done all my live, so let's run some commercials and get back. And looks like we will we'll start with Joe. It's going to be Joe and Matt and John and Susie. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening once again, and uh, let me just quickly run through events for you real quickly, and then Susie, and then we'll move right on through the list. But uh, Herb Market goes on today, at least until, uh, well, officially till 1 o'clock this afternoon with cooking demos, and they're going to have free seminars and lots of people set up down here, and uh, that's today. Looking forward to next weekend, uh, Texas State African Violet Society show and sales taking place up in Kerrville at the end of the hills. Then looking a little bit further out, Nature Fest, Green Space Alliance is uh, just one of the neatest organizations around. They do this down at Mission County Park, and uh, uh, you can, in fact, go to Nature Fest. I believe just go to naturefest.com or naturefest.org. You'll find all the information there, or go to just Google Green Spaces Alliance. You'll find out all about that. That's coming up on Saturday, the 4th of November. And then the week after that, our friends at the Commemorative Air Force, used to be Confederate Air Force, don't get me started on that, but they're having their annual event they call the Hangar Dance, which takes place at uh, the airfield up in San Marcos. And uh, wonderful evening, music, uh, kind of some old-fashioned swing dancing. It's just a, a wonderful evening. If that's something that appeals to you, go to hangardance.org, and uh, you'll find all the information you need. All right. To the phone lines, Susie's next. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bob. I love your show. I listen to you every weekend. Um, I, I appreciate that. I uh, planted some uh, cucumbers about maybe four or five weeks ago. They're beautiful plants. They're they have their little string things that you know help, helps them climb, but not right. one bloom on them. Ah, uh, and are they in full sun? They're in full sun, yes. Well, <laughs> that's unusual. How how long are the vines now? How many leaves would you say a vine has on it? Uh, uh, well, maybe a dozen or so. Okay, well, they ought to start blooming. They and and which varieties are they? English varieties. What what kind of cucumbers are they? Uh, these are straight eights. Straight eights, one of the best old-fashioned cucumbers in the world. I would tell you, keep them a little drier. Um, 
many plants, in fact, I guess all plants, blooming is sometimes uh, a response to stress. There's something in the plant that says, hey, you're getting stressed, you might die, you better make seed. And sometimes, and this goes for a lot of different things, if we take too good care of them, they want to just grow. If we stress them just a little bit by letting them get a little drier between waterings, that's one thing that seems to bring a lot of things into bloom and seems to set more fruit. So uh, as strange as it is, it is to say stop taking such good care of them. Start stressing them a little bit. And I'll bet you'll see flowers much more quickly. Now, don't be surprised if the first batch of flowers are all male. That's sort of the way it is with most curcurbits. But uh, try stressing them a little bit, and if anything, we'll bring them into blooming and production. It, it's just the reverse of what you would think. You think the better care you take of them, the better they're going to produce. But a lot of things respond better as far as producing fruit and therefore seed if they are just a little bit stressed. Okay, uh, I'll do that. And, and now, I had another, um, I had a pot that had a few cucumber seeds in it and it grew plants, and they had blooms on them. Plants are beautiful. And then white flies took over and killed the plants. So how do I prevent white flies? Any of the insecticidal soap products are going to be the absolute best. Insecticidal soap is the only thing I know of that takes care of all three life stages of the white fly. <laughs> takes care of the eggs, the larvae, and the adults. And um, I probably in your vegetable garden, just straight insecticidal soap is going to be your best bet. Other places I'd be recommending spinosad soap, but spinosad can be harmful to bees, and obviously we don't want to do anything that's going to harm the bees in any way. But uh, first sign of uh, of uh, any kind of white fly, get in there and spray top and bottom of the leaves with insecticidal soap. You won't hurt your beneficials, but it's the one thing I found that really does knock the knock the white fly down. Okay, what about Dawn mixed with water? Would a little bit of Dawn mixed with water, would that work? Not as well. The insecticidal soaps, oh, what do they say? It's a long-chained uh, ester of a hydrophilic acid or something like that. It, the, the so-called insecticidal soaps are a little bit better at smothering. Uh, Dawn is great as a surfactant to make things coat better but the insecticidal soaps and safers was the original one but there's several different ones out there uh, but they're going to do a better job than any of just the detergent type soaps will okay and i guess every time it rains i would have to reapply it as rapidly as white flies reproduce i would start out spraying like every two weeks because you really want to break that life cycle once you've knocked them down um uh, then you're probably not going to have to worry about rain or no rain. Okay, so I need to start spraying before I see the white flies, right? I, I would just keep a, keep a close eye on things, and when you see the first ones, uh, then spray. I, I wouldn't get carried away with insecticidal soap. Uh, uh, there are some natural predators that tend to knock out white flies, and in an organic landscape, white fly has gotten to be less and less common. So, uh, no, I'm afraid I would be reactive, but when you first see it, jump on it. Don't let it get, you know, to the point that the plants are really covered with them before you spray. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You answered my question. And report back to me on how those cucumbers do. I sure will. Thank you so much, Bob. Okay. 
You're welcome, Susie. Thank you. All right, uh, back to the top of the board. That would be Joe and then Matt and John. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Morning, sir. I have a question about a, a white bud tree. <laughs> okay. My daughter, well, she's, she's been growing this tree. I guess it's been almost 10 years. But the past couple of years, it seems like it's been dying out more and more. And uh, from the, I don't know if it was, I thought maybe it was from that cold spell we had. But it, this year, it seems to be all the branches are just cracking and there's very few leaves on it. And the thing is, at the base of the tree, it's got about six or eight shoots that are coming up from the base of the tree. Right. And right. I was wondering if, can we basically cut the tree down and pick one of them shoots and let it grow? Would it survive or? It would survive, but it's not going to be what you want. The the white bud, uh, or Texas, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, a white red bud, uh, they're going to be grafted. And the shoots that you see coming out on the base are almost certainly off the rootstock rather than from the graft. And if you cut those, if you the, the more you let those grow, the faster the top's going to die out. So you really ought to be going the other way. You ought to be keeping the, the root sprouts trimmed off of it. Now, the red buds have all the red buds, white or pink or the really dark pink when they call Oklahoma. They... They have how, how big in diameter is this, this tree of hers? The the tree or the, the the trunk or the tree itself? Yeah, the trunk of it. It's probably six inches. Okay, that's an old tree, and unfortunately, red buds are typically not super long live trees, and. They, a lot of people have actually damaged their red buds with too much water. This has been such a hot, dry summer. But red buds are one tree that once they're established, they are much better off to stay on the dry side than they are to get too much water. Not the water that hurts, but the fact that it drives so much of the oxygen out of the soil. But unfortunately, she's looking at a tree that probably is just at about the end of its normal life. Um, again, yeah, I guess you could regraft something off the rootstock there if you want, but I'm afraid those shoots that are coming up from the base are not part of the grafted part of the tree. If you let them grow up and bloom, uh, they're actually going to be pink. They're probably eastern redbud rootstock, and uh, that's not what you want. So I would trim those off. Um, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, fertilizer, good organic fertilizer will help. Uh, keep the soil on the dry side, but if she can just periodically, you know, spray up and down the trunk, they're going to, uh, it's going to absorb a good deal of moisture and nutrients directly through the trunk. But uh, quite frankly, you're just looking at a super mature tree. Uh, I guess it's probably, if it's that size, it's at least 15 to 20 years old. And in our part of the world, that's an average lifespan for a red bud or a white red bud. Okay. Uh, see, I told her she should be cutting them things off, you know, to begin. She's yeah. been doing that. But this year the tree looked so bad, I told her, I'll just let them grow. And I was going to get with you and see if we can, if one of them would turn into a 
Like no, I, I wish it would. Um, now, again, from the part of the tree that's still healthy, uh, she wants to learn a little bit about grafting or budding. Uh, she could take a, another young red red bud and re and rebud that. We she could graft some of the white onto that if she wants. But um, uh, it's you know that it's just a tree that being an older tree, it's much more susceptible to stress. And this summer, probably the most stressful summer I've ever seen on the landscapes in South Texas. There's not really any decent branch that I'd even want to save. There's only mm. a couple of them with a few leaves on them. That's it. Well, tell her to watch the nurseries early in the spring and plant another one, especially uh, it, it's an Oklahoma. It's a white Oklahoma redbud is what it is, and it's one of the prettiest trees out there. A little hard to find, but with good care, should get about 20 years out of the next one, too. All right. I appreciate your help. Always a pleasure, Joe. Thank you for the call. Greg, let's get our last break of the show in, and then we'll come back and visit with Matt and John. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, kind of winding down the show. It's been fun being down here at the Herb Market. It always is a lot of fun. See a lot of old friends, make a lot of new friends, and uh, it is a truly a, a wonderful event. Doesn't cost a penny to get in. Seminars start about 10 o'clock, and, uh, but there are just lots of folks down here. It's at the Pearl, as always. If you look around, park a little further away, you can still find pre-parking. You'll have to pay a little to park underneath the uh, freeway where we used to always park for free, but uh, certainly worthwhile to make it down to the herb market and uh, we'll probably be running right up uh, against the end of the show uh, uh, with their next two callers but do want to thank my supporting crew down here and our our operations manager back at the studio making all this happen so uh, we appreciate you guys so much and right now we're going to talk to matt good morning matt morning how are you this morning I'm off to a good start. It's always fun being outside to broadcast. <laughs> Sitting inside yeah. looking out at a pretty day is one thing, but being out in it's a whole lot better. That's right. Well, our question is, uh, we lost all our chili patines over the freezes the last few winters, and I've been trying to yeah. transplant some, and all I'm managing to do is wilt the leaves off of them. Uh, I will tell you the honest truth. Start with the smallest plants that you can find and don't just move them from one spot in the garden to another spot in the garden. Dig them up, put them in a container where you can really care for them. You can be sure to water them when they need it and let them get a good root system reestablished before you plant them out again and start some new plants. You can start them from seed. Um, if you'll soak that seed, you know, most of the time they call them a bird pepper because uh, the seed passes through the intestinal tract of a bird. That acidifying and what happens while it's in the intestine is what breaks down that seed coat and lets it start growing. If you will take those seeds and soak them in a little garret juice for maybe 30 minutes before you plant them, you'll find that you can start some new plants very easily from seed. Just sticking the seed in the ground rarely works, but that, uh, that pre-soak, for a brief period with a little bit of garret juice, you can just get some nice, strong young plants started, and uh, those will be the easiest for you to restart and get going in the garden. Okay, because the ones I've, you know, I find them out in the pasture and whatnot. I just dig a little bit bigger plant and bring it home, put it in a pot, and they, yeah. they just drop everything. Well, 
Again, um, one thing, and it's kind of a, it looks like snake oil, the packaging on it, but this stuff called Super Thrive comes in a little brown bottle with all sorts of really exaggerated claims on the label about how it's going to save the world. It really does work. I've seen it bring back things that I thought were dead, and um, some leaf drop is normal for them to drop every leaf. That's a little extreme, but uh, get a little Super Thrive. And uh, water them in with that. Do that every couple of weeks, and I think you'll find it's about the best anti-shock in the world. I like it even better as a little combination of Garrett Juice and Super Thrive. Uh, I think you'll find that it really does help you transplanting. But you're doing the right things. Put them in a pot for a little while before you put them out, out in the garden or wherever. All righty. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate the call. Get out and have a wonderful weekend, Matt. Thank you so yes, much. Sir. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All right, let's finish up the phone calls today with uh, John. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, Bob. Beautiful day. Good morning, sir. I'm uh, calling about a Bermuda grass lawn that was put in last year about this time um, up in the Bertram area in the Hill Country. And uh-huh. <laughs> the, uh, you know, this summer, of course, the drought's been difficult on it. But in prepping it for, for winter, I've, I've put down some good organic fertilizer. But does, is Bermuda susceptible to a fungus? Any plant is susceptible, you know, to fungi of different sorts. Bermuda is, it is more resistant than St. Augustine certainly is to fungal diseases. And uh, staying organic on your fertilizer is going to be real important. Uh, being careful with your watering to let things get dry between waterings. Uh, and I'm sure you already know this, but there's a lot of the world that waters frequently and lightly. That's what Bermuda hates, and that's what makes it much more susceptible to fungus. When you water, you should flood it, but then you let it get pretty dry between times. If you're having ongoing fungal issues, uh, apply some whole ground cornmeal, you know, about a pound okay. for maybe per 100 square feet. That's going to help control it and if there's any one thing yeah the the cornmeal will help but if there's any way you can especially where you have a problem that top dressing of maybe half an inch of compost in the fall i just can't tell you what a difference that makes i've I've got largely a a bermuda yard because i just don't have enough water to you know keep saint augustine or things going and uh, the years that i have gotten around to putting down compost in the fall i have had the thickest best growth i've ever had compost works as a natural pre-emergent uh i had one patch that was so thick with sticker burrs the dog wouldn't walk the dogs wouldn't walk through it i put down uh i guess it was probably october that year i put about a half an inch of compost over it and i think i pulled like six five or six sticker burr plants the whole year the next year so a lot of things to be said for compost and uh you've already put down your good fertilizer so if you can put some compost down and just be sure on the watering don't do it infrequently but really really thoroughly when you do water and fungus should not be that much of a problem. Fungus is it probably indicates you've got some sort of stress going on. Yeah, I I think it's actually just from the drought because we did not, you know, put excessive amounts of water just because there wasn't a lot yeah. to save the well and those kinds of things. So we'll um, so the compost. If I want to wait and put it down in January or so, is that going to be all right as well? 
it would be better to do it now. Uh, January is uh, January is okay, but keep in mind that the fall is when your plants are growing an awful lot of roots, your your uh, Bermuda included, and the better the root growth you get in the fall, the stronger it will come through the winter and the stronger it will come back out next spring. So if January is when you need to do it, by all means do it. But uh, at least in the areas where you're having problems, try to get that done a little earlier in the fall if there's any way you can. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Bob. You have a great weekend. You do the same, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have for phone calls. Once again, down at the herb market this morning, <laughs> enjoying people and dogs down here. Pearl is always a fun place. The herb market is free. Things are up and running now. Uh, say hi to Al down at the Gourmet Nuts. He just sent down some samples, which are absolutely outstanding. Uh, we'll talk plants again tomorrow morning, beginning at 8 o'clock. Great time in the vegetable garden. You're too late on tomatoes. I'm not going to recommend tomatoes at all, but still plenty of time to get your leafy greens growing. I think we're cool enough now that even spinach can be planted, uh, along with all your root crops, radishes and beets and carrots and turnips and things like that. You heard Howard Garrett talking about bok choy, one of the best and easiest things you can grow, along with chard, along with different lettuces. Um, in the flower beds, time for petunias, time for dianthus, time for snapdragons, violas, little Johnny Jones. Jump-ups and things, I think you're fine on those. I'm still recommending you hold off a week or two on pansies because they really do like the weather a lot cooler. Shady areas, you're going to start seeing cyclamen show up in the nurseries along with primrose and lots of other things, along with ornamental kale, ornamental cabbage. On those things, just be sure you're getting what they call the slow-bolt varieties. You don't want to plant the ones that are going to go to flower too soon on you because that's pretty much the end of leaf production on the ornamental kale and cabbage. Uh, I tell you what, if you like chard, anything from the Toscano chards, uh, uh, kales, I mean, uh, Toscano kale, Great time to get that planted as well. Just, you know, don't spend the day outside. This is way too pretty a day to spend in front of a TV. If you're out and about, uh, come down and see the herb market. It goes on till about 1 this afternoon. It's always a fun event. 32nd year that we've been doing this down at the Pearl, and uh, love to have uh, folks stop by. Once again, we will see you tomorrow, and uh, we'll be on Talking Plants from 8 till 11 right here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.